Thanks for taking the time to download this BBC Radio 5 Live podcast. To search for other podcasts you might like, click bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live, where you'll also find our terms of use. <clears throat> I beg your pardon? What's up? That was really horrible. What's up with your bad self? My bad self. My bad self is fine. That was just a really, really weird... Was it? Yeah, it was. Okay. It was. Well, I can only apologise. Yeah, no, it's okay. This is always one of my favourite weeks of the year. <clears throat> Explain, please. Now, look, because I am already bamboo. This is a multi-layer... What's happening? You know Cloud Atlas? Yes. The movie? Yes, I understood the that the fourth time round. Actually, I quite yeah. liked it the fourth time round. Well, this... This is our version of Cloud Atlas. But is this like the first viewing of Cloud Atlas? It's multi-layered. You're sitting there going, what? So the podcast eh? will just carry on the same as it ever has done. Right, so if people are listening... Now. Now. Everything is fine. Same as it ever was, in the words of the talking heads. Actually, in the words of the beer that they took it from, isn't it? Same as it ever was is the slogan on a, on, a, on an American beer, isn't it? It's... um. That's where I, it comes I, from. I defer to you in matters of America. I'll look beer. it up on the internet in a minute when you're talking and there's a bit when I think get, you can't. Battery keyboard and then it'll be a man yeah. looking something up. Everybody knows that, that though. So this show is then not being broadcast. I mean, we're back in our own studio, which is lovely. Yeah, that is really nice. We're not, we're not over... We're not down at Westminster. Yeah. That studio is on the news all the time. With, what with all that Westminster shenanigans going on for the last few weeks, it's permanently live and it's the shabbiest studio in the world. So now we're in our luxuriously appointed... Um, Studio, so this is going to be fine, and we're going to be live streamed on the Five Live website. You will notice that Mark loses his mind as we progress <laughs> through the program, because when we get to the actual program, Mark's been told not to refer to the fact that it's an unusual program. That he's now looking something up, so I'm going to stop. Now. Rolling Rock, same as it ever was. Carry on. Have Isn't you rejoined us? Yes, I'm just telling you that you because you. You asked me. You no, asked I me didn't. what beer, you did. No, you just took it off on the beer track. I didn't ask you. I just, <laughs> just decided to look it up. Okay, okay. Podcast. Then at two o'clock, we're going to have the live the live stream because right now in the real world it's twenty to two. No matter what gone. time, and there's going to be golf. And because there's golf, we're not going to be broadcasting as normal. This show will be going out on Saturday night at seven o'clock tomorrow. But it's already it will already have been a podcast today. Today plus if you're Following the live stream, you'll be able to watch this now, now, today, but not for 20 minutes because the streamers aren't with us just yet. <laughs> Same as it ever was. Could do with a beer, really. <laughs> uh, Should we, we send out for a couple? Two cold ones. Thank you. Do you know, I did. Uh, Robin, the producer, editor, yeah, editor, said that was absolutely fine. I had my eyes open today, though, on the subject of sending out for stuff. Go on. Because I recorded Loose Ends for Radio 4 with a very nice Clive Anderson and Christopher Eccleston and various other people. The budget they have for food on that programme is like a social experience. What were you doing? Well, I was talking about matters uh, pertaining to things, which if I mention them now, uh, the editor... It won't be in the podcast. I can, I can do this because it isn't being streamed. OK, fine. Yeah, you can hold was, up the thing. Are you talking, talking about that? that? I was talking about that. Yeah, fine. OK. Cameras, cameras. Ooh. Uh, so I was doing that, but I can't talk about it here. Okay. So, but I went on that. But the main point yes. I'm mentioning is yes. sandwiches, chips, pizza. Chips. Yeah. No. Wine, beer, the we, whole... We in the morning. 
Yeah, well, it was kind of lunchtime by the time we finished. But, you know... It, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. But, but if you finished at lunchtime, you started in the morning. There was wine and beer. When we finished, there was... By the time we'd finished, they gave us... They, there was so much food and drink. Chris Difford was there. He was. Oh, yeah, it, I, that's bizarre that he was there. Why? He was talking about a, a songwriting workshop. and Yes, in, 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 at Latitude. Yeah, I think he's doing that at WOMAD, but then Squeeze are playing at Latitude. Because I... Yeah, well, I bumped into them at Latitude last night. Why? Why don't we have sandwiches and chips now? Why? Why is that? I, I you know, why, I have. Why do we not? Why do our guests just sit there shriveled? Oh, money apparently is the answer. Oh, Ra- isn't that what it is? Fuck. Radio Four take all the money. Anyway, um, should we do this thing? Yeah. Dr. John Mellers, M-A-B-A ons, dear charismatic megafauna and dreary Methodist Baptist megafauna. Which one do you think you are? I'm the Methodist Baptist, I presume. Although although I'm hardly charismatic, am I? Anyway, so as you may remember, I wrote to the two of you. You uh, said it, mate, not uh, last, Well, I don't know. If he's saying Methodist Baptist megafauna and charismatic megafauna, he might be talking about the charismatic church, mightn't he? The Pentecostalist. That church. is what I assume. Since but he might just have been talking about, you know, someone is charismatic, having charisma. No, but it's in the context of a of a religious joke. Anyway, as you may remember, I wrote to the two of you last year about finally submitting my PhD thesis on the topic of the conservation politics of charismatic megafauna in Indonesia. You kindly read out my email before Simon dismissed my thesis by saying he's just written about tigers. So why didn't you just say that? Well, two things are notable. One. As Mark will tell you, i.e. someone who's had to write a thesis, it needs to be a bit more fancy-sounding than Simon's preferred choice, which presumably would be tigers and stuff. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Two, it was actually orangutans and Komodo dragons. (laughs) Tigers were originally in, but there was a new story about three men being chased up a tree by a tiger, which made it a little tricky. That's like the plot for The Jungle Book, anyway. (laughs) A colleague and fellow Wittetainee suggested that the discussion may count as an academic impact. However, my girlfriend disagreed and found the whole thing embarrassing. However, after waiting for my viva and then minor corrections and subsequent ad- administrative twaddling about, yes. I am donning a silly outfit and oh, congratulations. finally congratulations on the 16th. Particularly, incidentally, on the minor corrections as well because minor mods are a pain. Anyway, so he's graduating tomorrow, Saturday, and if you're listening on Saturday, the show's going out tonight. Congratulations okay. uh, for tonight in that case. A congratulatory... What's up, Dr. Mellers, would be appreciated. As I'm currently in the job market, if any fellow Wittertainees need someone with a love of film and an in-depth knowledge of the politics of orangutans and Komodo dragons, I'm open to job offers. You may be surprised to hear offers are not flooded in and I may get to sign Dr. Mellers for the first time at the job centre. Yours faithfully, Dr. John Mellers. It reminded me of um, one of the best jokes in... Uh... Oh, you're all right, fine. Yeah, one of the best fine. jokes in Educating Rita. Do you remember this? When I remember the film, when uh, the the question that she's asked for the essay is, "How would you solve the staging problems of Ibsen's Peer Gint?" and she writes, "Do it on the radio." It's very good. What a what a great film that was! It, yeah, it was wonderful, wasn't it? Paul in Ipswich, uh, I'm writing to tell you about a WRP, which is not the Workers' Revolutionary Party. Do they still go, are they still going? Don't look at me. <laughs> Why? Because you're afraid of them. Well, I've never. I've, me and the, the WRP have never. I don't. They, they, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? But the West. They used to be called. They were. They were referred to as the the West End Revolutionary Party, weren't they? Because they had a number of sort of high profile. 
It's never been my bag, particularly. No, no. I, well, I'm. Okay. You know, it's in this context. It's a wittertainment related premonition. Uh huh. And I've experienced it this weekend, says Paul in Ipswich. I listened to the flagship film programme. I'm sure other BBC film programmes are available, maybe even with the same contributor. Like so many via the podcast on my generic fruit-based device. This... I'm not allowed to make that noise at home. You know that, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. This particular weekend, I have had an earworm. An okay. earworm? An earworm that goes around my head. Whether I was in the shower, out cycling, in the shops, couldn't get rid of it. It was Midnight Dynamos by, the, by Matchbox. Oh, I, fantastic. Now, I was already a bit surprised to have a random 80s band floating around my brain who I probably haven't thought about much since they were in the charts. Let's face it, they were hardly Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet or Altered Images, were they? But imagine my astonishment when on late Sunday afternoon, while podding peas, whilst listening to your podcast, yes, really, you start talking about Matchbox and then you even mention Midnight Dynamo. I can assure you... I hadn't been wow. on your playlist or caught any of the programme beforehand, so I hadn't picked up on it subconsciously. Is this the first wittertainment-related premonition? Or are you just broadcasting to my head via telepathy? Frankly, today we may well be. It's just going into your head, Paul. Is Mystic Mark contagious? Well, a little bit. But how, how marvellous have an earworm of Midnight Dynamo? Did we put that on the playlist? It it's on the playlist, so the playlist. there it is. So there did, it is. Did, sorry, did we, we did put Shannonar on, did we? We did. Fine, great. It was a bit all rockabilly and Ted-tastic, wasn't it, last Ted-tastic. Mm. Oh, I think that's a very good thing. Richard, Rock and Roll is Here to Stay by Shanana. Richard um, from Blackpool. Uh, Mark and Simon, I'm a short-term listener. It's only been a few years since I started listening to your excellent movie podcast. I was introduced to Wittertainment by my good friend Kieran while living in Australia. We're both nurses and were working in Sydney for a few years. Since then, I moved back to England to contribute to the NHS, and Kieran has gone to work in Afghanistan in the Helmand province, working in Lashkar for six months. It would really lift his spirits if he could get a was up from Simon. He's helping. Now, this is now, well, that's very nice. Yes. And now I'm going to feel bad. Okay. He's helping the local people in Afghanistan dealing with the ongoing conflict there and having to deal with everything on a daily basis. Yes. He's not been to the cinema in months. If Mark could recommend a must-see movie from the last six months, that would be fantastic. Thank you very much and love the show. Uh, P.S. He still makes sure he gets the podcast every week, even in Afghanistan. So, well, well, so we'll certainly do that. I just feel as though, you know, our contribution to the effort is to say, what's up? And you're going to say, here's a movie from the last six months. Yeah. Whereas he is actually out there doing real good work yes. for people. Anyway. Okay, can I just say, if you start comparing our worth to the worth of the listeners of this show, yeah. it is, we don't it really is a very, up. very uh, humbling, short, humbling, humbling experience. experience. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> Kieran and for Richard, can you recommend a, uh, a anything from the last six months? Okay, well... Stand out. So it's like your yes. film of the year, almost, yeah. so far. If, if, it's, if it's something to put a smile on your face. Yes. I loved Hail Caesar, which has just recently come out on uh, DVD and Blu-ray. Okay, good. Um, if it's something that you, you want to see, you know, a, a genuinely superb film. I would say probably anything other than a, a war film, I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, Mustang, which I thought was really fantastic. Notes on Blindness, which is in the cinema at the moment, although interesting story about or Notes not. on Blindness. No, go on. Well, so the story is? Well, it was my wife's birthday yesterday, so we thought we'd go. The only It's quite difficult to find, so we found it was on at the BFI on the south bank of the Thames in, in London. London. Well done. Um, but you couldn't actually buy tickets online for this thing, so we thought we'd get there an hour early, you know, and I, I'm on air till 7 o'clock, so then I got, we got there half past 7, I ran across the bridge, all that kind of stuff, sold out. Completely got last last showing. No, I mean I'm really sorry that you didn't get in to see it, but I'm really 
<coughs> pleased that it was sold out. I then said, don't you know who I am? I'm a friend of Mark Kermode. <laughs> and they went, yeah, there's the door. Uh, Embrace of the Serpent, another film which is really terrific and is still playing in some cinemas, but also you can get it on uh, a video on demand from a number of, uh, of different, uh, different places. So I hope that's sort of, you know, light and heavy. Uh, Kieran, I hope that... So that's our contribution to the work in Lashkagar. A <laughs> was-up and a film recommendation. A humbling experience, as you say. Uh, so... But hang on, but, you said, but, he's, but, he's, but he's back for a little bit. Richard is, but yes. Kieran is working in Helmand province. Oh, so in fact, he's, it's, it'll only be the stuff that he can see online. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe some... I don't know. Well, in fact, no, actually, all, all, all three of those I've mentioned are streamable, at least in the... Um, uh, at least in the UK, um, you could always you could always get the Blu-ray of <coughs> Hail Caesar and post it out there. But the other two are streamable in the UK at the moment on VOD. So may, maybe if if he's got some good Wi-Fi, maybe he can. Oh, it might be complicated. You might have to wait till he gets back to the UK. I mean, otherwise you're asking, um, <coughs> you know, what, what what's really good that's now out on on DVD, really, aren't we? Yes, I think you've answered that very well. Thank you, Simon. Well, Mustang Mustang is definitely out on DVD and it's great because it's only, only just of the week feature later. Yes. <laughs> Which we which we can come to. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, I hope that's been even marginally helpful. The very interesting thing is, I suspect when, it hasn't. When you were speaking to John Inverdale earlier, and he said he was at the golf. And yeah. He said, "So am I going to be looking forward to Ghostbusters?" And I said, "And all you said was you might be. Well, you might be." And that's almost an entire review. Yeah, I know. And in a way, you kind of already know now what I'm going to well, say. Well, because I don't know, and we ha- we actually haven't discussed this. No, thing, we haven't. Right. But from that, I and the answer obviously will be later. Yeah, from is, that, you guess. My guess is what you're saying is it was okay. Uh, it was quite funny in places. It was nowhere near. And I said we haven't collaborated on yeah, this. No. This is funny because I actually haven't. We haven't spoken about right. this. Still there, it's not. It absolutely isn't the catastrophe that a lot of the sexist uh, online contributors are saying. Uh, it's not as good as it as it should be. It's not as good as the original, but it's it's pretty good. That's what I think you're going to say. But that, I'm just constructing that from. Your brief answer to John Inverdale. This, how, uh, I, how am I doing? Here's how you're doing. You know when, and I'm not saying anything treasure about this, but you know when you've been married to somebody for a really long time, yeah. And there's that thing that you have conversations that go, "Did you? Yeah. Uh, but did you? But, oh, you know, I did that as well. You remember when? Yeah. And that's Sh- it. Shall we? No. No. <laughs> I I literally feel that we are now. At that point. I, but I think the main difference is a lot of the listeners will have worked that out as well. But in a way, we're married to the listeners but as well. Brett, you know, it, and it's, if I say, what do you think about the new thing? And you go, and even that, <laughs> length, even the length of breath lets you, you don't actually even have to say any words anymore. Yeah, but can I tell you, the, be, the best one of those was when you rang me to say, have you seen Entourage? And I knew... I knew from the okay. fact that you'd even rung me to ask me that, that the, the, the reason you had was that you really thought it was poor. OK, I'm going to try this. Okay. Okay. Have you seen the new Bourne film? I haven't, no. Have you seen the new Star Trek film? I haven't, no. Have you seen the BFG? Yes. What did you think? Well, can you tell from the way I said yes? Yeah. What do you... What do you okay. Yeah, I think I can. OK, so t- fine. What do you think... I thought. I think you liked it just because there was a... You answered immediately. There wasn't a pause for disappointment. Damn, you're good at this. Am I? Okay. You, are, you are really good at this. We should do that. What was the programme? With, with, was it with 
was it called Mr and Mrs when they would put I'm one not of, going on Mr and Mrs No no but they you. would put somebody in the in the in the in the in the soundproof booth Derek Beatty was Derek Beatty one of the hosts. Derek Beatty that's right and then they would you, ask, know, you know that question there's this kind of mythical question the most embarrassing question What's that Mr and Mrs I can't even say it on the radio Really Yeah What I can't. Obviously, you don't know. I'll tell you when we. I'll tell you. Is it true? Is it true that it was? It can't it, be because it, it's too rude. Because Mister and Missus, as far as I remember, was incredibly well behaved, wasn't it? It was basically. Yes, it was. It, was, it like, was. You know, it was very sweet, and it was always won by by an eighty-five year old couple who'd been married since they were eighteen and were just clearly made for each other. Apparently, Philip Schofield is it still on? Is it still Philip's, on? Philip Schofield was the host. Oh no! I just remember Derek, that name. You said Derek Beatty. I remember yeah. that from the nineteen seventies. I mean, from from a period in which, in order for somebody to not hear what you were saying, they went inside a soundproof booth, put on a pair of headphones that were like Jodrell Bank yeah. attached to your head, and then apparently listened to classical music whilst Derek Beatty asked, you know, do, what do they do? They put the toothpaste on before the water, or the water on before the toothpaste? What's his favourite flavour of crisps? Yes, exactly. Anyway, I'm not going on that show. You know, some. When did this coffee arrive? Just now, producer Simon brought it in. Did you not notice? I did. That was. He's like a. He's like a stealth ninja coffee deliverer. That's like the. That's like the the uh, the the. Sorry, it's like the routine about the Gideon Bible. But never mind. Which I can't do any. Sophie of actually got the coffee. Sophie, thank you, Simon. Simon, thank you. That was took the you, glory. Did you come in the room? Yeah, he did. That was he. Would he is he is. If only that was live streamed, then people, he made kind of whizzed in he like did, that but... superhero guy. So anyway, now you've got the coffee, now you've got your drugs, and we can stop talking because the show. Because you is just about... don't want any more of this Mr. and Mrs. stuff because the it show is about feel slightly uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Although the reason it's I making the listener slightly, feel is uncomfortable slightly uncomfortable is because you know it's true because you just proved it <laughs> by, by by the way I said yes. The listener going, doesn't want you, any you know, more. You know that's what it is. Doesn't want any more of this. At all. What doesn't want any more of a marital? No. Keep it indoors. Keep it indoors. Don't do your dirty washing outside. That's right. If you don't stop, I'm going to do some more Chris Pine themed aerobics. Oh please, please. Are you going to? Are you going to we'll talk about it on the show? Is that going to be in the interview? I think we should. Pro- no, it's not in the interview. But I think we can talk about Chris Pine's aerobic spasm. <laughs> anyway. Bad back, Chris. Yeah, could be, or maybe you're just drawing attention to yourself. Anyway, an actor. Drawing attention to themselves. Here comes surely the sh- not. Here comes the show. So tell us what you're going to be doing for the next couple of hours, Mark. Well, we're going to be, do the uh, box office top ten. Obviously, we're going to do reviews of uh, Ghostbusters, of uh, Summertime, of Ice Age Collision Course. Um, we might get in a Turkish uh, horror movie, and we're also going to be hearing from your very special guests, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto, uh, Captain Kirk, and Officer Spock from Star Trek Beyond. Is he first Officer Spock? It's like Spock and Kirk, really. I can't remember whether they've all been promoted or not. Okay, so that's so that's how the show's going to uh, work its way through the system. Siobhan Walsh has been on first of all. Hello, Siobhan. Having had a micro discectomy today, oh, this, as you know, is to remove a herniated lumbar disc, yes, or parts of it. I'm about to have six weeks off work, during which time I hope to catch some movies during quiet periods. I suspect, like Mark, circa 1996. I'll have to stand at the back of the cinema. That's very, that's very well remembered. But it'll be worth it. With that in mind, can you recommend any films with short running times that I can see? The thought of watching the stream this week has already cheered me up, so she may well be watching this back on Friday. OK, great. <laughs> in advance for the humour and chat, which I know will make me smile, even if my dihydrocodine 
is working. Well, I hope the dihydrocodine is working. I hope the microdiscectomy went particularly well. And here's a couple of movies that are brief and to the point. Well, the one I always go for when this comes up, and I know that you're going to groan, is, uh, is Punch Drunk Love. Because it's Paul Thomas Anderson's shortest film, but in my opinion, it's his best film. And although I'm a huge fan of things like uh, Magnolia and There Will Be Blood, there is something about the brevity of uh, Punch Drunk Love, which is, you know, around about an hour and a half uh, length, and it is just really fantastic. Um, I would also recommend um, Notes on Blindness, which I think is available on... VOD. I think that that's round video on demand. Yeah, you know, you can you can you can access it uh, at home rather than needing to go to the cinema for it. I'm just going to check the running time on it. But I bring this up again. We we mentioned this earlier on that, that you tried to go and see it, and it was actually sold out. And how fantastic that that was the case that a film like Notes on Blindness should have been sold out uh, in the cinema. And that's a really 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 good film. Can I just say one thing? After I had my, because both you and I have had back trouble, and after I had my um, uh, back operation, and and then at the end, when I first came back to work, did indeed stand at the back of Independence Day, um, the good lady professor her indoors decided that what she what she should do was get some movies that I could watch whilst recovering, and um, and made a terrible error because got uh, Mike Lee's Nuts in May, which I had never seen before, and. As you probably know, immediately after that particular operation, laughing and sneezing are the two things that you actually don't want to do. And I was about 10 minutes into Nuts and May. We had to turn it off because I just it was it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Too much pain. Too much pain. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kerry, Tony and Sullivan. Uh, my husband, Tony and I are both LTL and I'm an STE. You were on holiday uh, for the last one, and the supply teacher didn't get to it. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, you were discussing past wittertainment proposals and matchmaking successes. You asked if there are any wittertainment babies. Do you remember this? Yes, I do remember that, yeah. Just over two years ago, Tony and I were both on a dating site, and I was about to give up having ignored everyone who'd contacted me. You need to be on these sites to truly understand why. But I saw someone had looked at my profile, and so I had a sneaky look back. His profile seemed nice. We liked the same books, films and music, and most importantly, we also both liked wittertainment. So, large glass of wine in hand, I plucked up the courage to send my first ever online dating email. My opening line was... What do you think? What do you think the opening line was? No idea, because this is a totally foreign country to me. First things first, hello to Jason Isaacs. Fantastic. Soon after that, we had our first date. Our first few dates included going to see Spider-Man, Calgary and Frank. And 15 months after first meeting on the 11th of July 2015, we got married. And the first line from our lovely humanist minister, hello to Jason Isaacs. (laughs) It's now part of the wedding service. In October 2015, just a week after we returned to the UK from living in Belgium, our son uh, Sullivan was born. And I think we can safely say he's a wittertainment baby. So really... Uh, there you have a wittertainment relationship and a wittertainment wedding and a wittertainment baby. So well done. That's a cool name, isn't it, Sullivan? It's pretty good. Love to all the congregation, whichever nook or cranny they belong to, and hope to see you in Edinburgh when you stop by on the next cruise. Has that been sorted, by the way, the next cruise? Have the dates finally been announced and revealed? Um, yes, there, there, there are one or two extra stops that we still have to see whether we can fit in, but essentially it's nailed down. It's on the website in the usual place. Edinburgh, is that...? Uh... That was one of the... It's, it's a must stop, really. Yes, isn't it? I, I think we are doing it, but that means that that other place that we were going to go to, we can't do. Is that right? Yeah, you remember, don't, don't yeah. say it out loud because you remember, but there was that whole thing with, the, with the thing. Yeah. With the ruler mm-hmm. and the spaghetti, and that wasn't very good. 
but I thought you weren't going to mention that anymore. I didn't mention it. You you brought it up. Okay. That's why I said don't mention it. Box office top ten coming up yes. uh, in a bit. <laughs> Some Star Trek conversation after the half past. Mark, vaguely, he says. <laughs> Confidently. Mark Bates, just want to mention this because uh, we're back on the uh, the world of rather strange miracles. Okay. Okay, are you paying attention? Yeah, yes, look, I am. You're not going to look something up? No, I'm just looking at the, the piece of paper with the box office top ten. Last Saturday night around seven o'clock, I was embarking... This is Mark Bates. I was embarking on my 10-minute journey, just 10 minutes. Oh, I thought you said he was embarking. No, he wasn't embarking. Embarking. I don't know. No, he was embarking. It's not near Dagenham. No, that's what I'm sorry. That's what... I was embarking on my 10-minute journey home from work, having completed the second of two long 12-hour day shifts. Right. Due to an incident on my normal route and roadworks on the alternative route, I was faced with an hour-long journey in traffic attempting to circumvent the hold-ups. The, the hold-ups? Yeah. I switched on 606 on the medium wave. 909 is also fine. To to hear yet another post-mortem on England's Euro 16 performance, after a while I grew weary of the armchair generals pronouncing what was really the matter with the whole thing. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, I reached for my GFBD, as no one is calling a generic fruit-based device, to see if any new Wittertainment podcast might be available. I didn't hold out much hope, as the aforementioned football in now Wimbledon wreaked havoc on our beloved church services. But lo and behold, the Christoph Voltz... Voltz. ...pronounced Throat Warbler Mangrove episode awaiting my attention. I connected car and phone by way of an old-fashioned cable and auxiliary input and was soon happily listening to your witterings whilst crawling through the traffic. Still with me? Yeah. Yep. By 8pm, I was pulling into the car park of a local chippy to pick up some dinner and left you both at number three in the top ten countdown. Okay. The chippy was a little busy and had a ten-minute wait for food, returning to the car at 8.12. This is very specific. I am, all, I am being so precise with timings as herein lies the source of the miracle. Okay. My phone was now back in my pocket, and as I pulled out of the car park, I decided I couldn't be bothered with fumbling to get it out and plug it back in for the two minutes remaining of my journey, so would return to Five Live and save the remainder of the podcast for later. As I pressed the button to switch from auxiliary to 909 medium wave... 693 also available. I was stunned into awed amazement to hear you not only... Right, good doctors on a Saturday night. But to hear you pick up from the precise moment I had left you ten minutes earlier on the podcast. Literally the same sentence regarding the surprisingly humorous nature of the nice guy. <laughs> the number of elements that had to align for this to occur are truly mind-boggling. Right. Like a character in a Nolan-esque tale who had just had the tenets of his understanding completely rearranged, I rushed home, open mouthed to share the profundity of this miracle with my non-church-attending family, only to be met with a resounding... Nah. Mm. I had hoped this would be the catalyst for their conversion, but sadly no. Maybe a wass-up for Paula, Molly, Ellie, Lily and Rosie might help. Yes, I live in a household of five women, but I'm far from confident. I am, however, more, <clears throat> even more devoted, having had the privilege of this miracle bestowed upon me, something of which I'm immensely proud. So this is just part of, because we broadcast on in so many different ways. So many different and ways. And today more than ever. So many platforms. Switched from the podcast, went to the Saturday night. There it is in exactly the same place. What would you say, how did that happen, Mystic Mark? What were the, was that down to the stars yes, or the like, ley lines? It's, it's like the thing at the beginning of 2001, isn't it? When the planets and the things all line up perfectly, you know, that's what it was. It's a, it's a, it was a cosmic. I mean, because obviously, as we know, the world is in fact controlled by stars 
millions of light years away, one of which, if you look at it in a funny way, looks a bit like a man and a bull. With that in mind, is everything going to be okay? Yes. You see, interestingly, you didn't even pause or hesitate, which means that things might be getting better. Oh, now you might regret it. Are things going to be all right? I hope so. Okay. Less than helpful. <laughs> so, box office top ten uh, this week at number ten is Me Before You, which I still haven't seen. So, you would have thought by now that you'd have put in a little bit of effort. Okay, and just down to laziness. So, I haven't seen Me Before You, and I also haven't seen Soul Town, which is number six, which uh, we didn't have a national press show of. Uh, number nine is The Neon Demon, which I, I like, and um, there was some question last week when I reviewed it about whether I, me saying I went with it was me saying I liked it. And it was. I'm sorry if it seemed in any way ambivalent at all. What I was trying to do, because the, the thing is, there's so much to talk about with that film. There's so much going on, and there are things about it which are, oh, Nick, you know, really? Um, and there are... What, what sort of thing do you mean by that? Well, some of the movies that I enjoy the most are movies that I also find a little bit exasperating and a little bit ridiculous. And in the case of The Neon Demon, because it, it sort of begins as one story, it begins as, you know, it is a fairy tale and it begins a fairy tale about the fashion world and then it goes into this whole kind of jolly section in which it's very Argento. It goes into what? Jolly, jolly. Let's, we don't even have time. What is, but what's a jolly section? Well, okay. Um, well, literally the... Briefly. The, briefly. Uh, okay, so uh, of the kind of movies that Argento was making at a certain point, there's a long, there's a long question about whether or not Giallo technically actually can involve supernatural or whether it's really detective crime thriller because the Giallo is yellow, which was the the paperbacks, which were originally the pulp thriller things that the word came from. But actually, it's correct through usage in inverted commas, come okay, to mean a style... You, sorry, you asked now, aren't you? A style yes. of uh, cinema that was most famously associated with the works of Dario Argento, late 60s, early 1970s. Where were we on... Yeah. To say that, that I did like The Neon Demon. Okay. I mean, even there'd be parts of it I felt I can understand why they exasperated people, but I did like it, yes. I, I'm sorry if I sounded in any way ambivalent about that. It's just because I tied myself up in such knots in talking about all the things that the film made me think about that what I probably forgot to do was to say, and I like it. Andre Miletti. Yes. From Asheville, North Carolina. Here's a great opening for this email. As someone who worked as a production assistant on The Neon Demon... Oh, wow, OK. And who made it through his week-long road trip from North Carolina to California by listening to your podcast. Right. I never thought I'd actually hear Mark review a movie I'd worked on, let alone liked it very much. I'm glad that my 60 to 70-hour work weeks and daily anxiety of turning left in Los Angeles finally paid off. Thank you. Glad you liked it. By the yeah. way, whilst I was in living in California, I decided to put Devoted Wittetainee as my bio in my, <laughs> my generic... Sweeping, uh, swiping left or right application. This was during the pre-Witter Dark Ages. But um, not a single person in Los Angeles had any idea what I was talking about. And some assumed I was bombastically trying to pass myself off as witty and entertaining. Yeah. Go figure. Anyway, Andre, there are other Californians. And now you have to look at the, uh, the iWitter app. Yes. From which we benefit financially. Hugely. Every time someone... Price of a suit every week. Uh, Vina... Now, I think this is Vina... Descent, Dacent, Descent. You've had, that's three runs at it. One of them is probably right. Vina, I'm going to call her. After the disappointment that was Only God Forgives, I went cautiously to Hackney Picture House. That, that is quite a good way of approaching the Neon Demon, is cautiously. 
to see NWR's latest offering and I was fixated from the first syncopated synth beat. Seductively subversive and dangerously dark, the film pushes boundaries that might make some viewers uncomfortable. Beautifully shot with hypnotic soundtrack, Elle Fanning's Jessie knows her beguiling and ethereal essence, able to put people under her spell by playing coy and innocent. Keanu Reeves is a douchebag hotel manager <laughs> of menace and creepiness, and Jaina, is it Jaina or Jaina Malone's enthralled makeup Malone. artist takes infatuation to a new level. Shakespearean with a touch of Argento and two heaped tablespoons of Cronenberg. Yeah. I feel the Neon Demon will become a cult classic. Can I just tell you something which is funny about my, my review? Because we were very pushed for time, and I think we did the whole review in about sort of five minutes, and I had a lot that I wanted to say about it. One of the things that I said was, <clears throat> it's got this fantastically squishy synth score by, and my brain said Cliff Martinez, but my mouth said Chris Martinez. I thought so, you were going to say Cliff Mitchellmore. No, no, no. So, so Cliff Martinez, which we, as Chris Martinez, which as everybody pointed out, was like what? So the Coldplay did the score, did they? And I've now got this thing in my head that I cannot actually distinguish Cliff Martinez and Chris Martinez. What about Chris Montez? Chris Montez, he also contributed he some, and, some, and, some of the score. And Cliff Mitchellmore introduced then, them for Holiday '86. <laughs> Anyway, so apologies to the many, many uh, uh, eagle-eyed and what's the equivalent of eared? Eagle-eyed, hawk-eared, hawk-eared. Have hawk got good? Hawks got good ears? Let's just eagle-eared uh, listeners. You know, I did indeed say Chris Martinez, which was you know, which started a whole thing on Twitter about Coldplay soundtracks for Nick Winding Refn films. You could you could actually link that into your previous uh, thoughts about being yellow. Exactly, exactly. Jallo, exactly. Chris, Chris Martinez and Jallo. And Jallo, yes. And he went, that's what, and you we are all Jallo. You're all Jallo. There we go. That act, I wish I had got that joke before you did. That's anyway, great. Alex has just wants to chip in here. This week I went to see the new Refn film, The Neon Demon. Hopes would struggle to be higher. It was by the director of Drive, which was a mere few years ago, one of my favourite film, Evs, and The Good Doctor had compared it to Possession, which currently... Yes, the, the, uh, the Andrzej Zuofsky film sits in my all-time top ten. Good. It is therefore with a heavy heart that I have to report that I was thoroughly bored for the majority of the oh, runtime, okay. occasionally perking up to laugh at the writing. I really wish Mark hadn't mentioned possession in his review as I was constantly waiting for when <laughs> it would descend into screaming handheld madness rather than endless slow pushes into mirrors just in case we weren't on board with the film's motif yet. Uh, the film this probably owes most to, I would think, in my mind, the latter works of David Lynch, especially Mulholland Drive and Firewalk with me, but for some reason when Lynch does weird, stilted dialogue and editing, it somehow works due to the film's janky, endearing charm, whereas here the uncomfortable pauses just feel like padding for time so that we can get back to Refn scrolling through his wallpaper folder. Overall, a crushing disappointment, one of the worst films I've gone to see in the cinema this year. Well, all human thought is there. Can I just very quickly read this? Because Dar Darren Fumins has sent in a number of films at 90 minutes around that Monty Python, Source Code, Stand By Me, Lady Killers, Videodrome, all 90 minutes. Thank all you. All happy to help. The Conjuring 2, The Enfield Case, is it number eight? Should have been smaller, ended up bigger. I don't think it was more scary as a result of it. I wish it had been more Enfield-y and less Hollywood-y. Uh, Independence Day Resurgence is at number seven. Mm-hmm. Now, Sultan is at six, and you haven't seen yes. that. So I can give you the views of Krishna Nagavolu, who has uh, gone via our Facebook page to lend us this. Thank you. Sultan has career-best performances from India's biggest movie star, Salman Khan. He plays the role of a pro wrestler trying to make a comeback. Though the movie has a predictable plot, 
uh, and checks all the cliches, the star power of Salman Khan and his co-lead Anushka Sharma make it a worthwhile watch. Thank you Great. Uh, for that. Top five central intelligence at five. Which was, you know, oddly funnier than I'd expected it to be. I had seen the, you know, the, the, the cast and the poster and thought, well, maybe you're right. But I laughed all the way through. And it was one of those lovely experiences when you go into something really with fairly low expectations. And then about halfway through, you turn to the person sitting next to you and completely break the code by going, this is really funny. But that's okay. I think yeah, I know no it, one's going to complain too yeah. much. No, no, exactly. Uh, Ab Fab the movie is it number four? Um, not as funny as it needed to be, which is sort of a shame. Um, it's not terrible. Uh, it's just it does feel like a like a TV show stretched to movie length, and and the celeb cameos didn't help. Although, as everyone has pointed out, and I feel I now need to say this every time I mention the celeb cameos, as somebody who did probably the most wooden celeb cameo ever in Absolutely Fabulous, about which, incidentally, I was thrilled because I'm a big AbFab fan. Um, I can hardly criticise. Fee Kirkham, I purchased my first Absolutely Fabulous video from my local charity shop at an inappropriately young age, and I loved it. The troubles of Eddie and Patsy never failed to alleviate my teenage strops or cheer me up after uh, yet another run with the school fashion police over my eclectic choice of tights, of tight colours. Tights colours. Tights colours. Colours of my tights. The film, however, failed to capture much, if any, of that good-hearted banter. The jokes fell rather flat and the comedy felt forced. The never-ending string of celebrity cameos detracted from what little storyline there was and rather than a cohesive piece of storytelling, it felt more like a chance for the AbFab team to showcase just how big a celebrity following they had. Um, Charlotte Wilde in Leeds just got home from a showing of AbFab in my local cinema. That is for every person. Uh, my thoughts are as follows. Comfortably passes the six laugh test. There were giggles throughout from the uh, the rest of the cinema goers. Mark is right. Patsy's the best thing in it. Mark also mentioned it's a bit baggy. I didn't get this feeling at all. And uh, an hour and a half flew by, although this might have been because I was on the sofa with a glass of wine. One of those <laughs> cinemas. In summer, I think it's a solid effort and absolutely slightly above average. OK. Uh, so AbFab is at four. Now You See Me Too is at three. Well, you saw this as well, and I think you probably have the same reservations that, that that I do about it. You did see this, didn't you? Yes, you remember the interview? That yeah, no, no, exactly. Sorry, I... Simon, I'm at that point in my life and my memory is not what it was. That's, I know. That's, okay. That's perfectly fine. Which film are we talking about? Yes. Now um, you see me too, dear. Yeah, thank you. Um, now you see me too, dear. <laughs> yes. Well, that probably okay. is. It's like £9.50 to get in. The, the routine in which they do the throwing the card back and forth between each other is probably the highlight of it, although still the, 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 the fact that you're seeing it on a movie screen, meaning that you know that it wasn't done, you know, it was rigged, it sort of takes the magic out of it. It makes no sense whatsoever. It is a series of, you know, uh, performance set pieces strung together with a plot which is just total hooey from beginning to end. Hooey is such a good word. Yeah, it is, because I think it's completely inoffensive, isn't it? I think it yeah. absolutely is. Because Huey Lewis and the News yeah, wouldn't they wouldn't have been allowed on the radio no. if his name was in any way. <laughs> anyway, Although, they're on the soundtrack to uh, American Psycho, so they're fine. Dominic Brogan, gold medal winner uh, on the Tin Whistle in 1996. Well, As regular non-cinema goes at the NCGs, we found ourselves somewhat rained off and fresh out of ideas whilst visiting family in County Clare. So 
uh, we found ourselves in the local cinema Omnidome in Ennis for a screening of Now You See Me Too. Having uh, both enjoyed the first film and being a fan of magic, we somewhat knew what we were letting ourselves in for. What followed was pretty much exactly what we expected. More magic. Bigger stunts. The oldest plot device known to cinema. Woody Harrelson somehow making him playing one of his own twins even more annoying than you could possibly have imagined. Can I say, that's absolutely right. Woody Harrelson's twin... Very bad idea. That being said, it raised a few chuckles, and to paraphrase a fellow cinema goer on the exit, it was a fine way to put in an evening. Uh, Matt Thornton just wanted to share a few thoughts on Nay See Me Too. Although I enjoyed the first movie, I wasn't planning on seeing the sequel until Simon's interview with Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse's enthusiasm was what sold me, and I was pleasantly surprised by the movie. Two thoughts. This film did sequeling well. I don't tend to like films which rely too heavily on the predecessors or which decide to rewrite them. I'm looking at you, Spectre. But NYSM2 did it well. It added a lot to my appreciation of the two films as a whole, especially regarding Mark slash Morgan. As a PhD student in quantum physics, and I have to say we missed this, particularly quantum information theory, quantum security and quantum computing... I loved the exchange just before the vault scene, which is, I think is the scene that you're talking about, yes. the passing of the card. It's rare to see movies sciencing correctly. And as, as the verb, I science, you, you science. science, we scienced, we all have scienced, we were sciencing. And more often than not, uh, writers stick sciency mumbo-jumbo together. But I was pleased to hear words like decoherence, dilution refrigeration and macroscopic used correctly. Solving the decoherence problem in quantum computing is the grail, and the topological methods that the film mentions are one of the most promising solutions. The film was fun, smart, thrilling, and I grinned all the way through. Thank you, Matt Thornton. How reassuring to know that the quantum physics in Now You See Me Too actually works. Yeah, if only the rest of it did. Yeah. Uh, So The Legend of Tarzan is at number two. Which I was very, very lukewarm about. Christoph Waltz's performance uh, notwithstanding, which I thought was fun. I did think it looked like uh, David Yates wanted to be making a a Spider-Man movie and just happened to have made a Tarzan movie with a weird bit of sort of colonial history thrown in. Aidan Mitchell, uh, on the the topic of his email is The Legend of Marzipan. I hope you're both well. Being in the RAF, I'm currently posted in Northern Ireland, living away from my family. This being the first weekend apart, I decided a distraction from missing them was needed, so I've just come back from watching The Legend of Tarzan or The Legend of Marzipan and felt compelled to get in touch. What a disappointing film. I had no real expectations, but I certainly wasn't expecting something from the school of Michael Bay atrocities. Vacuous attempts at addressing slavery, but did nothing more than show Africans in cages. Margot Robbie provided nothing except dull one-liners. Samuel L. Jackson was terrible, and I was left wondering why he was even given a role in the film. I was left feeling annoyed that there was the potential of a good film there, yet all we got left was the caricature of a good film, where they seemed to attempt to make Tarzan the superhero. How long were were those vines? Utterly extraordinary. Please give a wass-up to my incredible wife who directed me to your church when we first met and who makes me a better man every day. How do I send this email? I just send this email. Thank you, Aidan. So that's The Legend of Tarzan number two. Do you know what the number one movie is? I do. What? Secret Life of Pets. And the number one movie, which is my job to announce, is The Secret Life of Pets. Well, you asked me. I thought it was fun, not brilliant, but fun. And the stuff I enjoyed the most was the stuff about what your pets do the minute you go out the front door. And after that, it became a little baggy, but kind of fun. Secret Life of uh, Pets. I keep on wanting to say Secret Life of Plants, but anyway, it's the pets, and that's the UK's number one. And just before we get to our Star Trek sequence... Yes. I've just got because we've already had a top bit of showbiz gossip from someone who actually worked on one of the top ten movies. Yes, right? from the Neon Demon, Andre. 
Sam Shelton in North London, FTE and LTL and all that, just wanted to say Tarzan was every day of my life for over a year, along with many others, and for some people, over two years. Okay. I was an editorial runner slash apprentice, not to influence your views. However, what you see embedded in this film, and I guess a lot of this applies to, it is always worth remembering, applies to all the movies that we yes. talk about, yes. are all-nighters, the crew's sweating brows, their raised voices, most importantly, the hard work of a family. The pure definition of a family with its dysfunctionality, laughter and love. Some people have even multiplied during this film, having kids and forming relationships. The first day of work, I was in a screening room watching costume tests of Skarsgård and Margot Robbie with David Yates saying what he liked and what he didn't like. Then each day that followed piled in more and more insight into the work uh, of all the different departments coming together. One of the best parts of the editorial department is that we get to see the finished product of all the hard work, which is the rushes, of course. In our department was, deep breath in, the editor, his three assistants, music editor, the editorial VFX, a VFX editor and her assistant, an editorial editor and me, the runner, for all of them. But what a great job. Wouldn't you give anything, yeah, you know, presumably fantastic. at a young age, to be a runner on a movie like this? I've watched the latest cut twice. Uh, me and my friends have discussed how we can't really pass judgment on the film being good or bad for now because every scene has an emotional meaning to us. It was Tarzan in Watford and a marathon for us. Imagine if, that, if, imagine if that's what it looked like, Tarzan in Watford. I am now working on a, a much-anticipated film. I can't say a word about it. Uh, that is not quite on the scale of Tarzan, but all I can say in a Mayo voice is, oh boy. I don't know what that means. I don't say that, do I? Okay. Anyway, yep. well, Sam Shelton's obviously very excited about can it. Can I just say, and I mean, I th- we, we should have this always as a proviso, no film, uh, get, whether I whether I like it or critics like it or, or not, no film makes itself. Films are made by people working really hard under really complicated circumstances, and from where I'm standing... Uh, critics, no, they couldn't make a film. They couldn't begin to do it. I have nothing but respect for anybody who gets any movie at all made because if you have managed to do that, you are doing something that I could neither do nor would even attempt to think of doing. And uh, my greatest uh, suggestion for all filmmakers is ignore the critics. They're just people talking about your stuff. I don't ignore the well. I ignore no, no. But that's you're not a filmmaker. You. Yeah, but you're not a filmmaker. I take notice. You know, of you. filmmakers don't make films for critics, and critics don't review films for filmmakers. But anyone who gets a film made is doing something that most film critics could not do. Certainly, me. Most of the correspondence uh, to us this week has been about Ghostbusters, yeah. uh, and we will get to Ghostbusters the other side of the hour because we've got like a couple of twenty. Wasn't minutes. that a novel? The other side of the hour. Yeah. Oh, I don't know, probably. Anyway, so we'll get to Ghostbusters. We're going to talk about Star Trek in the next uh, 10 minutes or so. I spoke to Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto. And um, it's quite. it was quite interesting. Before, uh, well, when they came in, Zachary had to go to the loo, so he goes to the loo. And uh, Chris had a bit of backache or something, so he was performing a few theatrical stretches uh, beforehand, which were which were quite amusing, actually. You said they were very theatrical stretches. Well, they were. It was more like a it was like a personal yoga session that he was going through. But I think I don't know if you can pick up on this. It's quite an interesting kind of feel in this interview. And at one stage, and and you'll hear it. Uh, Chris Pine takes his watch off, and he's fiddling with with the watch yeah. uh, all the time. To the annoyance of Zachary Quinto, actually says, "Do you have to do that halfway through?" And he sort of apologizes. Anyway, you'll. Who knows what's going on? It's Spock and Kirk, for heaven's sake. They've gone through a lot together. Yeah. And when you see Star Trek Beyond, they go through a whole lot more. Oh, okay. That presumably is the point of the movie. Anyway, so you'll hear Zachary Quinto and you'll hear Chris Pine after this clip from Star Trek Beyond. I think you should have this back. 
draw it belong to your mother? It is not in the Vulcan custom to receive again that which was given as a gift. You guys break up? What'd you do? A typically reductive inquiry, Doctor. You know, Spock, if an Earth girl says uh, it's me, not you, it's definitely you. And that's a clip from Star Trek Beyond. I'm delighted to say Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto join us on the program. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you? How do we find you? Uh, Zachary goes first. I just ate an entire bag of Mentos in the car, and uh, you find me energetically aroused by Mentos. Fantastically well. Yeah, Thanks good. for having me. Uh, well, it's a pleasure to, have you on the, <laughs> pleasure to have you on the show. Tell us what you can about the movie, Zachary and Chris. Tell us just uh, the opening parameters of where we are with this film. Well, we're three years into our uh, five-year mission. Uh, I think there's a sense of monotony that's descended upon the Enterprise at the top of the movie. It doesn't mm. last long, but it's a kind <laughs> of unique glimpse into the day-to-day uh, -day, uh, interactions of the crew and the sort of more mundane elements of being on a large floating spaceship for five years, right? Yeah, it's like Eddie Izzard has the um, Death Star Canteen bit, and we have our uh, What's It Like on day, you know, 118 of being out in space, and I think it's... That would I, only be six months, really, into a five-year mission. We're, wow, we're three I years I was awful in. at math, Zachary. <laughs> 900 days. Don't start with me, because I swear to God, I'll get in a fist fight. <laughs> he's, he, and he's the captain. But I, I thought it was a great place for the movie to start. The fact that you're all a little bit bored yeah <laughs> right. you know and you could, yes this is what's you know it's not all going to be uh intergalactic exactly warfare. Right. sometimes it's just going to be routine i don't think i'd seen that done before no and i think that's especially with these big films it's or any you know it's always the high point of drama in anyone's life and i like the idea of starting in a place where there is no drama it's just exactly as you say especially for kirk at least he's finding himself in a moment where he's not driven by the same things that gave him really pinpoint focus before the death mm -hmm. of his father and living up to the legacy. And he just, he's looking for something to give him fire and, and uh, meaning, and he just doesn't have it quite yet. Can I ask you both about the, the, the personal struggles which you both have as characters at the start of the movie? Can you just explain a little bit more about where we find you at the, as, at the start? Yeah, it's uh, coming up on Jim Kirk's birthday, and it's uh, the birthday also happens to be the anniversary of the death of his father, so he is really um, feeling low about remembering uh, the, the fact that his father's no longer with him, but also kind of uh, bemoaning the fact that uh, that he doesn't—he's not driven by the same things anymore. He's not the long shadow that his father cast over uh, the early part of his life. Just doesn't seem to be as um, worthwhile in keeping in his own life anymore. He needs something else to focus him, and he just doesn't have it. Exactly. Spock is uh, wrestling in his own way. I think he's at a real crossroads of his own journey, figuring out his allegiance to Starfleet versus his commitment to his own race and rebuilding his own race after the destruction of his planet in the first film that we made. And uh, there's a turn of events sort of early in the film which I think um, galvanizes his commitment to uh, the Vulcan future. And, uh, and so he spends a lot of the movie, for then he gets seriously wounded, very badly injured. So he, he, he goes through a kind of journey of mortality in a lot of ways in this film for other reasons as well and uh i think it is through this journey that he arrives at a place of really knowing where his energies might best serve others moving forward and obviously the relationship between the two of you is is key to any star trek story but would is it fair to say this is more of a crew 
movie that yeah. other members of the crew have come to the fore here. I think that's true. And, you know, the crew gets fractured very early on. So out of this mundane, maybe I'm the sorry. watch is not sorry. the best. Sorry, 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 radio? sorry, sorry. Um, I think that out this is, of this the, is Chris playing with his watch, but he, exactly, he's still the captain. Well, all right, but you know, what does that make him infallible? The captain needs somebody to keep him in check, right? That's the whole point. Um, but I feel like, yeah, the, you know, early on in this film, the the crew gets fractured and uh, and we get separated, and we get separated into groupings that we aren't normally um, uh, maybe uh, expected to be in. For example, Spock and Bones spend a lot of this film together. Uhura and Sulu spend a lot of their time together. Uh, Kirk spends a lot of his time with Chekhov and Scotty. And for our audiences and for fans, I think it's going to be a, a, a nice unexpected turn for them to see these unconventional pairings of the crew yeah. as they're finding their way back to one another. You have a new uh, director, Justin Lin, a uh, new writer, Simon Pegg, who's obviously acting alongside you and Doug Hume. What difference did that make Chris, to the to the feel on set, did it feel like a, a new start, a new beginning when you start with a new director and new writers? It just felt different, quite honestly. Uh, it's now the the third film we've working we've been working together for quite a long time, uh, and when you invite anyone into that very tight knit creative space, there's always a fear that it's not going to work or not going to gel because you're so used to the well oiled machine that's come before. Justin also didn't have all that much time to prep this film, which is very scary with a, f a film this large. Um, but he just came in and did not miss a beat. You want someone in that situation to take command, really, and has to delegate authority and uh, make decisions quite fast, and he did that, and he's one of the hardest workers I've ever met. He has a different energy than J.J. He's, uh, because it was different doesn't mean that it was uh, not something we welcomed with open arms. And to also have Simon on set, um, you know, we've now been... Doing these, playing these characters for a while, so I think we have a greater sense of ownership now than maybe we did in the other films. And um, Simon knows us, has worked with us, knows what our strengths and weaknesses are. And on any given day, we could kind of we could work with what we had and then play with it and cut it down and add some stuff. And it felt very um, so. It sounds exactly it was almost like a collegiate thing. You know, if you've got a writer and you're acting one of the writers and you're acting alongside him, can, does it? work for you to say can i say something yeah, different or absolutely i mean i uh, simon has such a open sense of uh of availability to all of us and uh and i think he was a great conduit to you know, jj not being around it was great to have an advocate from within in a, in a, in a position of creative influence uh in the creative team and you know again justin was an incredible energy to add to the mix you know he came in he, he he's got a real quiet confidence he he knows what he wants and he knows how to get it um but he also had a lot of respect for us and our relationships with each other and our relationships to these characters but um having simon there felt a little bit like the uh you know the the patients took over the the asylum a little bit you know it was great to have somebody from within our ranks stepping up and uh being in a position of uh of power creatively and and obviously justin in those you know famous for his high octane action sequences uh how much of, how much of them do you actually do? there's a fantastic bike sequence chris mm. uh for you i mean how much of the stunts do you are you doing yourself here i mean i do as many as i can we also had extraordinary stunt guys that one one of them was a canadian motocross champion so there's stuff that he can do that i just simply cannot and uh um so i do as much you know we prepare we'd shot the film for about four months and within that time i'm i'm training with the with the guys and uh so on the day i can do as much as i can but there's certain um specific uh things that i just couldn't do and they were incredible stunt guys 
Zachary, for you? Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Spock gets pretty seriously injured at the beginning of this film, and so that put a little bit of a damper on his uh, his capacity to to fight like he did in the last movie. And Into Darkness was his uh, his you know heretofore his moment of real physical exertion. So so I was playing more with uh, physical limitation in this film than uh, physical exertion. But uh, it was an interesting challenge in its own right to track the the journey of an injury throughout the course of a film that you're shooting out of sequence is always an interesting yeah. challenge. One of the contrasts in the movie is alongside the extraordinary set pieces and the high-octane sequences that I mentioned, is that some of the scenes had a kind of a retro feel yeah. where you are, it, it was like back watching the TV yeah. in the 60s. How, how so? I'm just curious, what do you mean? I think the uh, the scenes, particularly the close-up scenes when you're going on a new planet and you're standing yeah. there and you've got your phasers and there's, <laughs> yeah, totally. there's teleport. Yeah. I'm thinking, I, wow, yeah, this is, yeah. suddenly it feels like it's 1969. I think that's also, you know, the 50th anniversary. There's a, I think there was a deliberate, uh, in the production design, the costume design is another way I think that's true. You know, there was a, there was a bit of a... Uh, a deliberate move toward honoring the origin of the series and origin of these characters in the franchise. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty remarkable milestone for any entity of entertainment to exist for half a century. That's not an insignificant amount of time, and especially as our attention spans seem to be diminishing daily. Uh, it's it's pretty great to, to be able to celebrate that. And I think we wanted to do it in the making of the film. We want to do it in the promotion of the film. And uh, and hopefully audiences will feel that because it's a huge cornerstone of, of what we made. And the heritage of that TV series needs to be said again to a new audience because it championed diversity, which probably wasn't even a phrase uh, in the the 60s and 70s before it was fashionable. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Gene Roddenberry's vision of... uh, It was was a very optimistic vision of humanity, and I think it had a lot of faith in our potential. And, uh, you know, while this remains a, a summer popcorn blockbuster film, I think... It sets itself apart slightly in the fact that there are themes and ideas that are reflected back at our audiences that are a little more significant and potentially a little more relevant to social interactions that are happening around the world these days. And, uh, and, and that's a really nice thing to, to also be a part of, frankly. Am I right in saying that the, the Vulcan doctrine of infinite diversity and infinite combinations... That's extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? I mean, there's a lot. That's extraordinary. Also, uh, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. That's one that I keep coming back to in this world, in this day and age. Uh, one of Spock's more famous axioms. Uh, you know, I think there are a lot of a lot of those that can be uh, drawn out of the Star Trek franchise and mm-hmm. and, uh, and its history. And given the collegiate nature uh, of this movie, it must have hit you all very hard. The death of Anton Yelchin just a, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, it did indeed. It, it has been uh, a, a bizarre uh, past couple of weeks, and uh, awful, and even stranger now to come out and try to sell a film when um, something like that has happened. Um, this is a celebration of Anton, really, in many ways, because it's the one of the last things he did, and um, I'm so grateful to have known him and to have really worked with him quite a bit in this last film and he was a beautiful guy um fun and funny and smart as all hell and and fearless creatively um he's the kind of guy that you look at and you think what the hell have i been doing all my life and he's only 27 and he did already achieved so much so we miss him dearly yeah i mean i echo the idea of celebrating anton's amazing life and his spirit and uh it's really hard to 
fathom that he's not going to come bounding through the door, you know, and, and I think a tragedy like this serves to remind us how precious life is. And uh, I think, you know, the only remotely positive thing that is anywhere in the fog of the, the tragedy of it is how close we are and how much closer it brought us together to celebrate him. Um, he was just a unique and profoundly talented individual and not only for us personally, but I think for mm. the industry, it's just a terrible loss. And looking towards coming next, Chris, is it Wonder Woman? Do we see you in that next after this? No, I have a film called Hell or High Water coming out in August uh, with Jeff Bridges and Ben Foster, uh, directed by David McKenzie, who did Start Up, and written by Taylor Sheridan, who wrote uh, Sicario. Uh, I always want to say Serpico. And, um, and then I have Wonder Woman coming out next year in July. Uh, Zachary, is it the Oliver Stone biopic that you're doing next? Yeah, Snowden uh, comes out in September, which I made with Oliver Stone last year, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Melissa Leo and Tom Wilkinson, a great experience and great people, and uh, a film I, I produced and starring called Aardvark with Jenny Slate and John Hamm that comes out uh, sometime next year. Uh, Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, thank you very much indeed. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thanks, Simon. And the Star Trek movie uh, opens next week. And I wonder if, I mean, it must be really tough to go out and obviously they're very proud of the film. Yeah. Very proud of their work together. But obviously everyone is going to be asking about Anton Yelchin, which is, and he died in such tragic circumstances that it really yeah, no, absolutely. must make the promotion of a movie. Yeah, very, very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to see the movie this week and the review of Star Trek Beyond will be... I'm seeing it next week, so I'm seeing it on Monday. Yes, yeah. next week. But not sorry. Yes, yeah. So it'll be on next week's show. That's correct, Simon. <laughs> Let me know how it gets. Confused. Let me know how that works out. Okay. Uh, okay. Tell us something else that's out. Okay. So uh, let's do uh, Keanu. Have you heard of this? Um, uh, sort of uh, a comedy which has been a big hit in the states, uh, starring uh, Key and Peele, uh, Keegan Michael Key, and Jordan Peele. We had a comedy show on Comedy Central, which ran for several series. Um, according to London's Time Out magazine, they're a duo who turned biracial anxiety into comedy. And uh, the story is, I mean, this has been sort of billed as a kind of, as a bromantic gangster comedy. So anyway, the story is there are two uh, two buddies. One is uh, happily married, but his, his wife is going out of town and she's insisting that he spends some me time. The other is broken up from his partner, is embittered by it and has put all his affection uh, into a cat called Keanu. He says, I think it's Hawaiian for cool breeze, which I think is, we know that from, uh, yes. from Mr. Reeves, um, uh, with whom he spends his time making Michelle Gondry-esque calendars for personal use only. So putting the cat in all these strange little cardboard movie sets, like The Shining, or, you know, like a, when I say Michelle Gondry-esque, you know you exactly what I mean. Exp- well, just to explain it. Well, Michelle, you know, Be Kind Rewind, uh, Michelle Gondry who does things out of cardboard and string and so there'd be, there'd be the cat in, like I said, like a cardboard set for the, for the Shining or the cat in a cardboard set for another famous film. And he takes photographs of them, but he says they're totally for his own personal use. Anyway, then his house is broken into and the cat is stolen. Turns out it was very, very uh, heavy types who were actually looking for the drug dealer who lives across the road. They got the wrong house. They took the cat. And now in order to get the cat back, our two uh, heroes have to pretend to be super hard drug dealers in order to track down the cat. With me so far mm-hmm. is a clip. You know, uh, I heard how I went down at King Diaz's church. Well, you know, man. Hey, that's how we do. You know, we got to do yeah. how we do. Oh, damn. What? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry about her, man. That's, that's Montana. You know, as much as I love snakes, I think uh, we need to uh, go to the bathroom yep. real quick. Yep, that's, that's <laughs> what we should do. Mm -hmm. Oh, look who's up from their nap. Hey. Cute cat. Uh, yeah, this new Jack right here, man. Yeah. Hey, but look, before y'all go run off and do your little thing. Where'd you get him? How much you want for him? You serious? Actually, he is, man. We we in the market right now for like a gangster pet, so. Yeah, I mean, you can hear from that. There is some sort of funny stuff and funny dialogue in there. It's a, it's a, it was a troublesome film because I wanted it to be better and I wanted it to be more than the, some of its parts. Actually, end up being less than some of its parts on the on the positive front. The stuff of the two guys riffing together is actually funny. Them sort of doing that, you know, just sort of shambolic talking to each other in an affectionate, combative way is is quite nice. They have obvious obvious chemistry, and there's a sort of intriguing unpicking of uh, kind of middle class machismo. There's also some quite funny stuff about getting uh, super hard guys to uh, listen to George Michael and understand the meaning of his songs. There's a couple of very funny lines. Uh, there's one part in which one says to the other one, you sound, like Richard Ge you sound like Richard Pryor doing an impression of a white guy. And uh, there's also a very, very weird reference to the Blair Witch Project. And all that stuff, that sort of shambling, ambling stuff, I, I, I liked. And that felt like a, like you know good material for sketch comedy. It was, in many ways, the framework, the everything else, the... The drug deal, the you know the, the the complicated plot about having to go around to various different places and get involved with gangsters, very sort of long and drawn out cameos that don't quite work together. It's so you got the feeling all the way through that there is the makings of a funny, entertaining sketch in there with some smart stuff in it, but it just gets lost in the baggage of the film itself, which which is just not coherent enough to carry it through for the you know for, for, the, for the duration of a feature and this does happen quite a lot you know you get things particularly with comedies you get things which look like it's a smart cine literate satirical sketch which when dragged out to full feature length doesn't you know just doesn't hang together that said it was funny because i was just talking to simon about it from the production team here and um you know say well you know there were things in it that were funny and then we were starting to remember the things in it that were funny and then realizing that there were actually quite a few jokes that we did individually laugh at but it's just when stretched over the length of a feature film it somehow it got lost in the morass of the film itself which i have to say tired my patience after a while so not terrible but you know, very flawed and would have been better as a short sketch with, with just those two guys being, you know, doing that stuff which they do, the chemistry between them, which is the real sort of heart of the comedy. Got an email from uh, Ben Bailey-Smith. Oh, really? Of this parish. OK, and? Uh, he said, I'm a committed LTL and 2TP, two-time presenter, typing okay. this email squished in between Sanjeev, Edith, David and co from the esteemed corner of the church known as Supply Teachers Terrace. Yeah. Query for Mark been meaning to ask for some time over the years i've kept a list of must watch films as recommended by mark on the show okay um many of which i've still not got round to last month i had a date night with mrs supply teacher and we joyfully ticked chico and rita off my long oh i love that film i'm um remembering how much mark bigged up the movie and i realizing yeah. that i set this up and you're not gonna have time to answer it okay go on okay uh i was intrigued to see isle of man film credited 
uh, in the opening. It's an Oliver Man film production, yeah. Nice coincidence, right? Then wait a moment. Throughout the movie, within the lavish Cuban street detail, I kept noticing posters advertising the Dodge Brothers. So here's my query, says yeah. Ben. Are these things pure coincidence, or did you utilise the same Machiavellian genius that brings you such personal wealth and benefit from the iWitter app to weave your talents into this classic picture? Love and occasionally work on the show, Steve. Thank you, Ben. Very welcome. So, is this true? So, are yeah. you advertising your band in the middle of this movie? Well, I, I wish that were the case. So, the uh, the Isle of Man film thing is because it was made by the Isle of Man, uh, Isle of Man Film Company and uh, it was directed by a guy called Fernando Tureba, whose work I have loved since a very early movie called, uh, what's well, called The Mad Monkey here. In America, it was called Twisted Obsession. And it opened here and was seen by absolutely nobody apart from me, Nigel Floyd and Tom Charity, all of whom really thought it was a great film. And then I've followed him ever since then. And then he was then there was the whole Oscars thing. And then uh, I spoke to him in Cannes one year when he was working on uh, Chico and Rita, which was this animation that was being uh, backed by the uh, Art of Man uh, film. And then I saw the film and loved it, which is no surprise because, as I said, I'm a a huge fan of his. And then somebody pointed out, did you know that there are posters for the Dodge Brothers in it? Of course, the reason there are is... The reason that the band are called the Dodge Brothers is I have a 1956 Dodge Coronet, which I've you know had for ages and ages and which I love. And uh, so we had named the band after the car. And, of course, the Dodge Brothers posters in Chico and Rita are for the Dodge Brothers Car Company. But I'm very happy to uh, to pretend that they're for the leading skiffle and blues merchants in the UK. Um, Nick Grant, we're going to talk Ghostbusters in just a second. Uh, Nicholas Grant uh, says, Dear Theresa Mayo and Michael Gove, yeah. quite simply, your Jesse Eisenberg broadcast of the June the 1st inst became the soundtrack to the most important event of my life. Really? Sunday, June 3rd, saw the beginning of a nine-day stint in hospital with my very pregnant partner, Sarah. As per my usual habit, I downloaded the podcast, went armed with it into Tunbridge Wells Hospital as Sarah began the induction process, being as she was 14 days overdue with our first child. Sarah, who is not a member of the church... Had already, Can you say that with any more dripping sense of disappointment? Had already taken the Michael out of me for this, as she consistently accuses me of having a man crush on Mr. Eisenberg. She may well have a point. Anyway, anyone who's been through the induction process, this is a baby being induced, it's not like yes. an induction into the hospital where you get to fill in a form, knows that it is a long and gruelling process. Yes. I found it so only as a third party. But yes. Sarah was an absolute hero. During this time, you try to find sleep when you can, as the contractions come and go irregularly. I had four attempts of listening to the Eisenberg show and failed each time as I do- dozed off in the ergonomically flawed hospital chair. To put it mildly, ergonomically flawed. F L A W, not ergonomically F L A W E D. Yes, yeah, sorry, sorry. Meaning no. it was blowing uncomfortable. Yes, no, sorry. I still have not managed to listen to the whole of this broadcast, and suspect I never will. As most new parents say, I haven't had the opportunity. The end result of nine days in hospital was beautiful baby Aiden, who is now filling our lives with love and nappies. As soon as he's old enough to understand, I'll introduce him to the church. Can I have a wass up to Sarah, Aiden, and Millie the cat, who is adjusting to the new family member. Peace and love. Anyway, that's very good. 
Uh, everyone is very welcome. We welcome all comers. Yes, we do. And now it's time to talk Ghostbusters. There has been so much Ghostbusters. I'm overwhelmed with emails, which we will get to once you have pronounced. So the, the, the background to all this is that when it was first announced that they were doing uh, a female-led uh, remake of Ghostbusters, as you probably know, there was a huge amount of uh, nastiness on the internet from uh, misogynists posing as uh, people who were just fans of the original film explaining why this was going to be a terrible thing. And uh, the uh, all that negative publicity seems to have backfired spectacularly in as much as it sort of set the tone for the arrival of the movie <coughs> saying it was going to be a total disaster. That When people saw it uh, and the critics, particularly the UK critics, started uh, publishing their reviews uh, earlier on this week, actually the reviews were quite glowing, saying uh, you know how funny it is and how smart it is and... Uh, and you know how much it isn't what those what 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 the trolls had hoped for. The truth of the matter is that it's actually fine. Um, but I have to be honest and say that I wanted it to be more than fine. What I wanted was for it to be something that was really so great that it absolutely you know knocked all those critics into a cocked hat and just you know just did its thing brilliantly. And when you look at the the talent involved, you know, director Paul Feig, uh, writer Katie Dippold uh, and uh, Kristen Wiig and Liz McCarthy. I mean, just really, really sort of properly stellar talent. I wanted it to be fabulous. It's not fabulous. It's OK. Uh, and OK may well be good enough. There are plenty of laughs and plenty of chuckles, although it is rather uneven. Shall we hear a clip which I think is fairly self-explanatory in which their experiment, the ghostbusting team are experimenting with some new ghostbusting technology? This puppy I like to call a ghost chipper. Hollow laser technology sucks in the ghost and neutralizes it. Step up to bat and do what you're going to do. You truly scare me. I just want to let you know that. I'm going to just... Oh, come on! Oh, it's like Mardi Gras in there. It's a proton glove. It's going to maximize flexibility during hand to specter combat. Just give it a punch. It's motion activated. So, you know, you get a sense from that of the kind of, of the the joyous nature of the film. And it's a film which is made with uh, an affection for and a certain degree of reverence for the original whilst also uh, going its own way. There is uh, lots of laughs at the beginning. It starts very, very well. And there's a sort of, you know, House of Usher backstory at the beginning, which in like in the, I think in the first there's two... what? House of Usher. Just explain. For the House of Usher, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, just some backstory that reminded me of that. Okay. Okay, um, in the very, very first sort of like five, ten minutes, the laughs came really sort of quick and hard, and there's some very funny, very dry dialogue and stuff, which is really smart. Then we get this nice setup that Kristen Wiig is this academic who wants to be taken seriously, but there's a book in her past about ghosts which has suddenly reappeared because Melissa McCarthy has put it on the internet because she is actually in the ectoplasmic business, and Kristen Wiig desperately wants to put clear water between her and that stuff, but then when the ghosts come out and ghost busting is suddenly required it's all back on board there are some very funny turns Andy Garcia is uh, is very funny Chris Hemsworth gets this kind of uh, I, I thought very entertaining role as a beefcake secretary who which is got a nice kind of role reversal and it's a good gag and it's played well 
and the individual chemistry between the between the four key players i think you know works well there's exactly that you know you've probably all seen that clip which gets played played quite a lot when they get out of the car and then two of them say let's go but they say it oh no you do it you do the line there's that that's the kind of humor but the problem is when you look at the the overall structure of it it is messy it is scrappy there's a weird thing about time shifting at the end which is a kind of you know going back to the glory days of times square which i'm not entirely sure why or how exactly it works there are sections in it in which it left me smiling and chortling but not uh not laughing out loud and one of the weird things about the original is that the original worked on a number of peculiar levels i mean it was a very very odd film and there are even there are moments in the original which are actually quite creepy and what you got with this was the sense that it's fun it's like it's very easy to like and uh and i'm really glad about that and i think it looks like it's going to do well at the box office and i'm very glad about that as well not least because i think that that there is no question that what happened in advance of its release was nothing other than bigoted prejudice trolling. And I'm really glad. I hope that the movie therefore does well enough to put that aside. I just wish that I absolutely loved it, but I don't. I think it's fine. I think with that quality of talent, one might have expected something better. I think you have you have to be honest and say that it is structurally shambolic, but that doesn't mean that there aren't laughs in it. I just, if anything... I wanted the bar set higher. So I ended up going, it's okay. And perhaps, you know, I, I, perhaps being okay is considering, like I said, considering all the negativity beforehand, that in itself drives, plus the fact that it passes the Bechdel test with flying colours and, uh, you know, and, and, and looks set to be a hit, all of which I'm pleased about. I just wanted it to be more than that. Uh, I should say, don't text or email for... Uh, today's programme, what with it being Saturday night and everything. Uh, this from Alistair in Glasgow, mm-hmm. Alistair Mitchell. After all the idiotic internet nastiness levelled yeah. at the new Ghostbusters, it felt important to send a proton pack's worth of positive energy via your flagship film programme. The film is fantastic fun. The chemistry of the cast is perfect and my sixth laugh test was, by the end, a distant memory. There is perhaps some irony in the fact that the elements of the film most criticised, the female casting, the reboot, etc., were the most effortlessly brilliant. It was the basics, like an engaging plot and consistent tone that sometimes wavered. Yes, I, I absolutely agree with that. The Who's this email from? Because Alistair in Glasgow. Very, very intelligent. The film may have been a little rushed and ragged, but was never dull and never without charm. So I largely that. agree with that. Not perfect, but huge fun and worth the time. Audiences should not be afraid of no gust. Audiences should be not- afraid of no go busters. Re- Alistair and Glasgow, thanks for the email. <laughs> Joe Hope. Can I just say, well done for having a run at that. Thank you. Saw the new Ghostbusters film last night. It is everything a summer blockbuster should be. Funny, light, with some great action set pieces and engaging central characters. As you would expect, our protagonists are also all into science. They love their work. The focus is on their friendships. There are no romantic subplots. They wear clothes appropriate for their jobs. <laughs> there are oddball outsiders. The actors were chosen primarily for their comedy skills. They kick some serious bottom. Yet this is an unassumingly and unapologetically radical film because, gasp, 
they're all female. Due to this apparently shocking development, major film sites have had to close down their comment section due to unprecedented bio Yeah, which is, which is just astonishing and really, really depressing that in the 21st century that should be the case. With this and with the latest Star Wars, I hope that de- depicting women as rounded humans in mainstream films will become the norm. You never know. If people keep doing it, it could catch on. Very good. Hello to Jason and so on. Uh, Georgina from Cambridge. I mean, really, thousands of... Yeah, no, no, sure. I'm but this sounds like this is a a, 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 a well-chosen cross-section. Dear Casper and man, un- man under a bed sheet with two eye holes. Last week, my friend and I went to see the new Ghostbusters. We're both pretty nerdy and big fans of good films, but ha- uh, as well as having cinematic taste, we're also up for big, stupid, fun entertainment occasionally, even when it's so big and so stupid, it's a terrible movie. Uh-huh. That's what I thought I'd be settling in for with Ghostbusters because, obviously, it was never going to be as brilliant as the iconic first film. But, to my surprise, it was not big, stupid fun. Yes, there were some stupid jokes that strained on the comedy nerves, but mostly, I laughed out loud, continuously, from start to finish. I laughed more at Ghostbusters than I did at Deadpool. It was a combination of clever wit, well-done slapstick, and all the main cast showed great comedy chops and character performances. Every time Kate McKinnon, as eccentric, quirky, badass engineer Holtzman, spoke or even reacted to something, I fell in love with the character a little bit more, which warred with my other developing feelings for a certain attractive receptionist, says Georgina. To make another Star Wars reference, it reminded me of The Force Awakens, which attempted the same balancing act of giving lots of nods to fans of the original and maintaining the beloved design, look and feel of the universe and characters, whilst also bringing something new and original to the table. I think Ghostbusters did a better job than The Force Awakens in giving enough nods and references without letting the entire film get bogged down. Overall... In case it's not clear, I really liked it. P.S. See how I have not mentioned the genders of anyone involved because guess what? It doesn't matter. Uh, Dan Black, just a quick note uh, to combat the outpouring of rage from fanboys, which I'm guessing you may have been flooded with. We uh, haven't actually. No, no, we I have, have, I have no, to no, say no. I'm very proud of our we listenership. Kind of have a better we, class of we do. We absolutely do, and I don't think we we haven't had that, have we? I no. think if you. But if if that's what you're going to do, you're going to troll it somewhere else. Yeah, you? you're not. You're going to troll it on troll places. Troll.com is where you Troll.com, that's the thing, yes. The, under, la, 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 the la. underneath, the bottom <laughs> side of the internet. Yes. I've been waiting 27 years, says Dan, for the sequel, and I've got to admit I was initially sceptical about the all-female lead, to my shame. How wrong was I? Five of us went on Monday, including eight-year-old William and four-year-old Emily, and we all loved it. The first 30 minutes was genuinely scary, and I was feeling like a terrible uncle for putting the kids... Uh, through it all but the laugh soon followed and never stopped and I soon forgot that these new Ghostbusters were women it didn't matter at all there were lots of great nods to the original including cameos and dialogue to keep my inner nerd happy (laughs) the kids clapped laughed and danced their way out of the cinema which is what it's all about at the end of the day I understand that it may be a tad scary for some children but Emily who was already a huge fan of the originals wants to see it again just on the scary fact yeah because the original did have some some spooky moments who is this for would you say well, I mean, I, I have heard uh, somebody else I know who took a, a child who was younger than the designated uh, eight to see it, and I was quite—I was slightly taken aback by that. But they said, "Oh no, they, they abs- absolutely loved it." Um, so, uh, I, I think that I think the certificate that it has, the twelve A certificate, is right. Um, I think that's that's correct. But then again, you know, we've discussed this many times in terms of. Uh, Parents making their own minds up about their, you know, about uh, who they take. Just, just, just be warned. It's a, you know, it's a twelve A. 
So it's for people well, yeah, the, 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 around that age? The way it works with the BBFC, uh, I'm sorry to, to, to repeat myself, but the way it works with the BBFC rating is 12A means 12, unless you have reason to think otherwise, but they do recommend a minimum age of eight. Alan Ward did not like it. OK. I have to respond to my watching the new Ghostbusters film. I hated it. Uh, it's not about the women involved, it's about the following. One, the choice of director who was the wrong person to carry on this beloved franchise. Two, the script, which is so corny and witless it's been written in crayon. Three, the effects which cost millions to make but look like a Scooby-Doo episode for adults. Four, the obvious play on nostalgia to encourage fans to watch this bilge. The product placement and marketing which has been desperate and leaving a bad taste in the mouth. Uh, then there's another one which I'm not going to read out. To summarise, I love the 84 film but this abomination should be consigned to the dustbin of history. Okay, I don't agree with any of that, but, you know, thank you for writing. Ross Bailey, I've had a pretty conflicted feelings in the run-up to the new Ghostbusters being released. The original was a pretty important film for me, as it was one of my first cinema experiences. However, as the father of two young girls, I've been looking forward to the new film. Two years ago, having built our eldest her own cardboard proton pack (laughs) for her primary three Halloween disco, my daughter came home in tears because one unimaginative lad in her class claimed that girls couldn't be Ghostbusters. I was delighted to be able to tell her that an all-woman film was on the way. Since then, excitement has been building in our house. Both my six- and nine-year-old have been really looking forward to it, devouring on-set pictures and demanding repeated viewings of all the trailers. We went to see the film yesterday afternoon, and I'm glad to say they were not disappointed. It was wonderful to sit between them and see them so thrilled, engaged and entertained. We've had quite a few visits to the cinema before, but I have never seen them both so invested in the film. Afterwards, they both told me that they loved it. Bethan, age nine, said it was brilliant to see the woman being so funny and not needing men to save the day. How smart is that? Very, how old is she? Nine. Wow. Anya, aged five and a half, quotes... Loved the kick-ass woman who licked her guns. <laughs> okay, fine. So there, go, there goes my minimum age eight thing out the window. You know. <laughs> I read an interview with director Paul Freak, uh, Paul Feig. Feig, where he stated he wanted to make a movie with women who led, who would inspire girls. Well, he has definitely succeeded. Uh, thank you, Ross, for that. Good. Just loads and loads of people. Do, do you want to do something before the half past? I'd like to do Men and Chicken, if that's all right. Well, you just have to wait. One moment. Love the way you do that. Would you like to do this? I'm yeah. just trying to work well, then out my. I'm just trying to work out the timings here. And then you sort of pretend that, we, that our relationship isn't like. How long would you like for your next bit? Uh, I, well, I was planning on doing it for about six minutes, but I can cut it down to four. Good. James Kirkpatrick, then. I saw Ghostbusters in a nearly sold-out screen uh, on Tuesday after release with a wide age range of audience, young and old, after all the vitriol that had been thrown at this film over the last year. And a bit, could it really be as bad as some corners of the internet seem to think or want it to be? Yes, want it to be is the key. I'm happy to say that the answer is a resounding no. It was a fantastic time at the cinema, with the entire audience laughing, dancing in their seats to the music and clearly getting behind the new characters. All four leads were excellent, with fantastic chemistry between them and with some great fast-paced dialogue and scenes, the films really zipped along. That said, Ghostbusters was a fantastic night out and while it couldn't compete with the original film on a script level, it was still a wonderful update on a classic which has proven that the inter- that internet commentators, much as they like to think they are, are in fact not the strong voice of the public. Can I say one thing that's interesting about this correspondence? Many people are you know, saying that they liked it, they really, really enjoyed it. The, the criticism, any criticism that has been raised, is about script and structure. 
And I agree. That's absolutely my reservation about it. I mean, what I wanted was sharper scripts, sharper structure. But it is interesting that that's what and what everybody has absolutely agreed on is that the casting is great and the idea is great. Catherine, this is the last one and then it's all yours. Yeah, sure, sure. Thank you. Okay. And I, okay, one thing to mention on that, sometimes people might be trolling. That's what their ambition might be. Mm. But they hide behind... That you know, I didn't think the script was right, but actually, yeah, it's quite difficult sometimes. To have... Okay, but I'm not trolling. I'm telling no, you, no, that no, I no. Didn't, no, no, no. I realise, but some yeah. people say yes, I didn't like. Oh the yeah, script. no, sure. But actually, you're quite right. I I appreciate it. Final word on this, Catherine Bridgman uh, saw Ghostbusters today. My two cents. I've been very disappointed by the grotesque anti-feminist, anti-woman backlash against this film. If anyone wants to argue about bad remakes I have to ask where all these screaming fans were when the absolutely appalling Jurassic World came out <laughs> however having seen the trailer I went in with low expectations to find that actually it really wasn't that terrible there were a few missed opportunities for good jokes but the plot held together pretty well generally pretty good fun that being said the token black woman stereotyping of Leslie Jones's character was worrying and I think if we want generally although I, I, I think she's funny and smart enough to overcome that issue okay. but it is it is an issue if we want genuinely progressive stories it is probably best that they're original it's sad that Hollywood can jump so readily on board with a rehashed classic but not a decent progressive script. Catherine Bridgman, thank you. Thank you for that. We have time. We'll get to Email. some more before the end of the programme. However, with a few minutes to go before the half past. Do Men and Chicken, which is a very, very strange uh, Danish comedy um, direct, written and directed by um, Anders Thomas Jensen, starring, uh, amongst others, uh, Matt Mickelson. And it's this is nominally... But it's a dark comedy about two brothers whose father dies and they discover he wasn't really their father. He leaves them a video message saying he wasn't their real father. So they head off to a remote uh, place in search of their real father and end up finding a very strange family of half-brothers living in an old sanatorium who seem weirdly to be the sort of descendant, cinematic descendants of Ed Gein in the kind of Norman Bates way. And uh, they are men living in this building with uh, with animals around them. And the rest of the story then is about what's the family relationship? Uh, wh- where is the father? Why isn't, you know, the father is apparently still alive, but is not making himself known. Um, there's a line in it in which the mayor, who is terrified that the population of the place is going to drop below 40 and therefore it's going to be deregistered as a place, which is actually very funny, um, when he says humour on the island tends to be pretty basic. The humour in the film isn't that at all, but it is very dark. And as something which is billed as a, you know, said as a dark comedy, it certainly tips over more and more, which more and more into the dark side of it, you know, that you end up thinking about films like uh, Psycho or like uh, Island of Dr. Moreau or like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which are films which are dealing with very dark sort of fraught uh, subject matter. There is a certain amount of knockabout slapstick physical comedy, people hitting each other with tin baths and uh, sort of, you know, chaotic uh, attacks by mute swans, which are that kind of absurdist, you know, strange absurdist humour. And weirdly enough... The film itself actually moves towards a, a sort of sweet uh, message, a sort of sweet final payoff message. But for the most part, it has this tone which trips very sort of strangely between the humorous and the grotesque. And as I said, oddly enough, with n- nods, more nods in it to a heritage of horror, although it's clearly not a horror movie, than one would perhaps expect. So a very strange, very odd film that whilst I was watching it quite often made me feel 
uh, uncomfortable. Afterwards, thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, it's interesting. It has managed to ride that line between humour and horror better than I had thought at the time. I did find it quite challenging in places, and there were times that I started to lose patience with it. But it is tonally very peculiar, and that's not something that one can always say about a new release. Tell me why you found it particularly. When you say, because I, I, it always makes me slightly worried. When you, Does it? If you find something particularly challenging. No, rest, I don't mean challenging as the in. The rest of, of us are going to go. I don't, no, I don't mean like as in extreme cinema challenging. I mean challenging as in, okay, I'm not sure how I feel about this, and I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with this, and I'm not sure whether that whether that's a joke or whether that's a... Because there, it is very, very dark. It is very jet black. I remember... Do you remember um, that film, The Hundred-Year-Old Man, who uh, jumped out the window and disappeared? Which I had a sort of similar thing. It's to do... There is also that kind of... The, 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 sorry, forgive me, because my, my memory is not what it was. The That Scandi black comedy uh, about the guy driving the snowplow, in which it was it's that line between horror and humour in which you feel uncomfortable because you don't quite know where it is in that thing. I mean, the, 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 the quotes on the poster say, joyously eccentric and twisted stuff. I would have to say peculiarly uncomfortable, but not, not without interest. What are you going to do in our final half-hour sequence? We're going to do TV Movie of the Week. We're going to do Summertime. We're going to do Ice Age 3 Collision Course. We're going to do other stuff. You just reminded me, I should have had my TV movie of the week script ready. That's why I said it out loud, because I noticed that you did You would think that our vast production team would have uh, reminded me. They're not listening, they're listening to Radio 2. It's about to be... We do it at the same time every week, Robin just said in my head. I know, he said it in my head as well. Do you want want my list? I haven't actually even got it. No, I've got that, but there should be a proper script with lots of people's contributions. Oh, all right. Well, do you want to do um, a film and then come back to it? We'll do a film. Just want to do one more. Is there room for another nook, by the way, or another cranny? There's always room for another nook. Simon Post. Any time is tiffin time, as they say in Carry On, whatever it is, up the Khyber. I'm an LTL, as emailed before, but with current rapid expansion of the architectural edifice that is the Church of Entertainment, I felt it was time to... I added one... And put in a suggestion. When I arrived in the sunny Midlands in 2010, I was introduced to your show via my then senior manager, now business partner. He suggested I listened in. We've since discussed your show and films in general as a way of bookending business discussions. Right. As we are both vets, I consider that a vet's vestibule would be a suitable addition. Vet's vestibule. To the church, yes. I am also acutely interested in the portrayal of veterinary medical matters in film, a particularly brilliant example of which was in Far From the Madding Crowd, which we've uh, discussed recently. Yes. The scene involved the relief of bloat in sheep. I did, I, obviously, I'm aware of, you know, the feeling of being bloated. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, bit, you know, bloat. Is a thing. Is, is absolutely And you remember that scene? Yeah. Of course, which is... Well, Simon says, yeah. this was done using equipment and techniques which I myself had only used 20 years ago. I now spend my time dealing with cats and dogs, so this is now not my speciality, but I do think there is a potential journal piece on the portrayal of vets' medical matters in film. If anyone has additional excellent examples, I'd be interested to know of them. Uh, well, we'll you know we'll pass that on and consider it. But you know, if anyone had to deal with bloat in sheep, far from the madding crowd is the obvious. I can't remember. It looks pretty drastic. Don't it they? does. Punch yeah. The sheep. yeah. Yes, exactly. Doesn't he do it with? A, is it a pen or you know? It's because it's a you need a tube so that the yes. the, the gas can be. Released. But obviously, don't try that at home. No. Ap- yeah. Or, or indeed, the, on a farm in the fields. You know, that kind of thing. Do you say in the fields? 
fields. Not like he's in the fields. fields. I've got TV movie of the week, but we can have you. Because, but I want to have another review from you, and okay. then I'll get to my recently arrived TV movie of the week. Screen. Okay. So should we do Ice Age Three Collision yes. Course? Yeah, you should do that. So Ice Age. Well, it's not called Ice Age. Ice Age Five. Sorry, Ice Age Collision Course. For, for some reason, I keep wanting to call this Ice Age Three because I've just sort of blocked out the fact that this is actually the fifth instalment in the Ice Age film series. I think, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong about this. Wasn't it Ice Age about which I said it's the death of narrative cinema? Wasn't that where that began? I think that's where it was, because I said it's just a series of bits that are all stuck together, don't actually sort of make any coherence. That sounds about right. Astonishingly, um, having pretty much exhausted every other possibility in terms of the way in which, you know, this works out, they've still managed to dream up another bit of plot this time with you know the whole thing about scrat at the beginning you know burying the acorn and then that's always the funniest bit of the film and uh, and then there's the whole, well, then there's the, all the other stuff which is walking from here to there and plodding uh, in this particular case uh they send scrat into outer space no really into outer space where he pinballs around in a spaceship which accidentally causes what may be a potential apocalypse. There is a huge ball of fire coming from the sky, which is going to smash the Earth, and in order to stop it from doing so, our various heroes have to walk a long way to go and do something which somebody dreamed up in a moment of where on Earth can we go with this, whilst en route meeting some new characters. Here's a clip. Visitors! We've never had visitors! <laughs> Somebody pinch me! Or should I pinch you? Wait, I'll pinch both of us! <laughs> Did I hit my head? What's happening here? <laughs> I sure hope this isn't a... <gasps> Dream! This guy? For real? Whatever. Ah. Whoa! 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 Well, hello, handsome. I'm Brooke. <laughs> Ooh, such exquisite bone structure. Such a strong jaw. I'm getting butterflies. I'm getting nauseous. I'm getting nauseous too. Mind you, interesting use of Dreamweaver, the Gary Wright song. That's quite nice. We should Are you that. a fan of that song? I like a couple of Gary Wright songs. What else did Gary Wright do? I'm just trying to remember, but I like it. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, cast uh, John Leguizam, Dennis Leary, Queen Latifah, Simon Pegg, Jesse J. you know, just a whole bunch of sort of, uh, you know, fairly famous uh, names, all of whom have done many better things. I think the problem with this is this. Um, quite apart from the fact that by the time you get to, you know, this number down the series, it is evident that you've kind of run out of steam and that this would perhaps be better suited being a direct-to-video release, which is what often happens with these kind of series, which is that you get to a certain point and then they go direct-to-video and they start making the movies just, you know, just full video. But also the fact that it does look like they have literally run out of anything to do and so they've just gone, okay, what sh- let's have uh, space. 
we haven't been to space and let's have do you remember the bit at the beginning of uh, the dinosaurs movie recently when the, the the opening gag was that the dinosaurs are all sitting eat uh, standing not sitting standing eating grass good dinosaur remember this and there's a really funny no, I gag didn't with... see it, so no oh you didn't okay fine so there's the funniest gag in that film which that film was a hodgepodge and it was kind of all over the place and actually when you discover the story about how that film came into being that it was going to be one film and then it turned into being another film and it sort of you know got changed you can understand why it was and you end up saying things like well the grass has got this incredible photorealist quality to it but there is one really really funny gag in it which is also in the trailer which is that the dinosaurs are all standing eating and this huge great big burning meteor you know the one we know you know apparently caused dinosaur extinction i said Ed, apparently in there because <laughs> who knows who knows uh and and it comes hurtling towards earth and then it misses and it just goes and the dinosaurs all look up briefly and then they carry on munching and that's the funniest gag in the film well that gag in and of itself which you know is something which even even with my sort of laboured description of it lasted only a very few seconds is funnier than everything in Ice Age. The, you you just end up with the same thing, which is you really have got to the point that you just don't care. And I'm I know big corporate entertainment; it's there for you know it's popcorn, bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. But it would be nice to feel that somebody actually thought there was a reason for you know for doing this it is i just thought it was kind of and i think i may be wrong and i mean our listeners who have better memories than me will correct me on this i think it was ice age that i said the no of, i've got the answer here. oh i beg your pardon sorry it's it wasn't from, here, i'm now reading from the holy word of wikipedia oh sorry i beg your pardon okay mark labeled the film ice age 2 as the death, death of, of narrative, narrative cinema, cinema. Okay. and he encouraged people to utter the phrase when leaving screenings of the film. Mark Fine. criticised this particular film for consisting of nothing more than a collection of slapstick sequences with little to connect them. OK, well, in that case, I am now looking back on that glorious heyday of Ice Age 2 and going, would... Would that it was so simple? Would that we now had the level of dramatic coherence that we had then now? Thanks. Matthew T. Reynolds okay. is chipping in. Go ahead. The good doctor said on a few occasions he thinks the Ice Age films are roughly the same. To paraphrase, the bits with Scrat are good and, the, and then other stuff happens. I can see where this is going already. He's quite wrong. The first Ice Age film had a plot. It had defined characters who had story arcs. It had proper setup and payoff gags. It also had a little heart and Scratch provided some fun slapstick. The latest entry into the franchise is horrible. A brutally unfunny, obnoxious pile of sigh. <laughs> sorry, of... sorry, just give me that phrase again because I'm definitely going to be using that in well, conversation. There's an ellipsis at the end of the sentence before sigh turns up. A right. brutally unfunny, unfunny, obnoxious pile of... <sighs> Part of the problem is I'm not quite sure they know who the target demographic is. I hate using marketing speak, but you know where I'm coming from. Yeah. I, a grown man, hated every single second. <laughs> despite all the attempted knowing winks to the parents in the audience. My six-year-old, who still laughs at minions speak, pff, bottom, and sat stony face <laughs> throughout... I'm he sorry. sat... What? what? I'm sorry, I just laughed at your impression of minion speak. Well, you do. That's it. how... No, it's because it's... <laughs> Sat stony faces my six-year-old throughout the whole debacle. The best bit of the trip, according to her, was the popcorn. And I didn't even like that. Thank you, Matthew T. Reynolds in Rome. And now it's TV Movie of the Week. I just say, I am very glad that it was Ice Age 2 in that case, about which I said the death of uh, narrative cinema, because um, rather than Ice Age, because I, I had forgotten, but thank you for reminding me, because yes, that was in that case when it all started to fall apart and lose any semblance of narrative, any semblance of plot. But certainly... 
we have got to the point now that they're just going, what do you think? Fine. Uh, so there's a sheet of paper oh, here. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You've got my... No, I've, I've, got, I've got the earphone. Go. TV movie of the week and someone has written second copy on the top. So I'm just... First copy. Kathleen Dowler says, I'm going to be Hello, watching Kathleen. The Incredible Shrinking Man and we'll follow uh, with other sci-fi classics over the next few weeks just because I think Mark's going to pick Airplane as we all need a laugh. <laughs> Krishna and Nagavulu, this is a great week for movies on TV. I will pick Warrior with excellent performances from Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton playing American Brothers. Uh, James Adamson, I'm going to put in a vote for the unfairly overlooked Dread. Struggling to guess what Mark's going to pick. How about a merger of the available films and make it Kindergarten Copland? That's very good. True Godfrey, I love Airplane for its sheer dad joke ridiculousness. Love Star Trek, as for me it completely reinvigorated the franchise. Uh, also love The Dark Knight with its superb characters. Comic book come to life in a beautifully dark way. And John Quigley, an amazing week for TV movies. For me, it's got to be Airplane. I think Mark is going to pick the criminally underrated Warrior, which bypassed a lot of people during its cinema release, even if it is just so that he can do his Nick Nolte impression. Anyway, what is our TV movie of the well, week? Well, you know, I hate to be really boringly mainstream, but I'm going to go for Star Trek, the 2009 uh, version, um, the J.J. The, the Abrams reboot. And the, the reason is, which is uh, Saturday, uh, this Saturday, 16th is, is tomorrow. Well, today, if you're listening on, on the... So hang on, if I'm today, then it's... If it's yeah. going... When, if, when, what about if I'm listening on Thursday, next Thursday? I'm it's listening. at 7 o'clock, so um, you might have to do it on watch again. I, I'm going to go for it anyway. I'm sorry, I can't get my head around the time shift. When's it on? 7 o'clock on Saturday, the 16th. It might have started already. So it's on at the same time as this show is being broadcast. Yeah, nobody pointed that out to me earlier. I'm the well, film critic. I'm not the time lord. Well, you know, OK. Do you want me to pick another one? No, I don't, because that would be wrong in okay. so many so ways. Going so, and the reason I'm going to go with Star Trek is simply because I remember when we saw... Because um, did you and I see it at the same screening when we saw it? Can't remember that. And there was that whole sense that, you know, Star Trek had run its course, Star Trek had done all these, you know, he'd gone through that whole series of movies, some of which had been great, some of which had been not so great. I mean, Star Trek V, the, the the one in which the, you know, the final frontier in which William Shatner goes to heaven and has a fist fight with God, all that stuff. A little bit extreme? Just didn't make any sense. Okay. Um, and I thought that the reboot worked really well and and brought you back to what the series originally had. And I'm just saying this off the back of you having just done that interview with oh. it. A little bit of wind there. Thank you for pointing that out. That uh, interview with Zachary Quinto and um, Chris, Chris Pine. Pine. You've completely put me off my stride now. I'm now going to do some Chris Pine aerobics. Oh, yes, fine. Can you, want to, can you explain any more about that? Anyway, I, I really loved the film, and what it did was it brought back the whole essence of the Gene Roddenberry thing and made it seem fresh and new whilst at the same time having a kind of retro thing. What I was really impressed by in the interview that you did was you were talking about there are moments in this new film which I haven't seen yet, which I'm looking forward to seeing, which did feel like they were straight out of the TV series. Yeah, so if you, if you, if you find you're a little bit uh, stiff during this week, Chris Pine does an interesting kind of aerobic workout, which I'm going to do and you're going to describe. OK, all right, okay. fine. So you're standing up. Oh, I'm so You're tired. raising your arms like a swan. I'm so tired. You're gesturing as if Caesar oh, uh, in a Shakespearean production. Now. You're bending at the knee. You're I now doing it the other way around. So now you tired. look like a, a, a Greek uh, person on the, you know, on one of those drawings carrying an urn. So okay. essentially, what you're doing is extravagant. Look at me, yoga. Basically, it's a thing. It's going to be an Olympic sport very soon. Okay, and what's it called? 
It's called... Yoga Aerobics. Very good. Pineworks is what it's going to be called. OK. What do you think? Do you want to I join think, me in a class? I don't think that's going to catch on, but I, you know, I'm, I, I'm willing to... Shorts and a singlet for next week's show, please. <laughs> That'll be fine. So, uh, what, what else? Oh, can I... Look, we've got a few minutes left. Yeah, it's all right. Can I do summertime? You can do anything you like. OK, you so um, this is the new film by Catherine Corsini, who made um, Partia Leaving in uh, 2009, which I know that you'll remember because you are a keen... Uh, watcher of award ceremonies, uh, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas was in and uh, won the Kermode Award for Best Actress. It was a really, really fine film with her and Sergi Lopez, um, a sort of portrait of Amor Fu. This is a really interesting um, drama, melodrama, which begins with uh, a, a young heroine, Delphine, who uh, is living in rural France uh, and uh, living on a farm and finding the life around her stifling. We then move to Paris. This is in the early 1970s, where whilst walking through the Parisian streets, she comes across um, a group of women running through a crowd of men, pinching their bottoms and smacking them on the back. And the men are getting sort of outraged and furious about it. And uh, they are a uh, feminist uh, action protest group and she meets uh, Cécile de France, who is uh, one of the uh, sort of protagonists of this group. Remember Cécile de France came on the programme. I think it might have been to talk about the Alexandra Ayer film, or maybe it was... Maybe it was the the Jackie Chan. I can't remember. Anyway, she came on the she came on the program years ago. Really, really fabulous actress. So anyway, they strike up a relationship which, at the beginning, is built on friendship and a sort of shared political uh, awakening. That essentially uh, Delphine is discovering that there is uh, whole sort of areas to the world that she didn't know about, which is to do with this kind of you know cosmopolitan rebellious spirit. She says, "What are you doing?" They say, "It's women's uh, what fights for women's rights." And she says, "Oh well, you know, tell me about that." And the question is, do you not think that there are things that you can't do because you're a woman. The relationship between her and the character played by Sir Cecile de France, Carol, then obviously turns into something more and they become uh, romantically involved and fall head over heels in love with each other. But then family duty calls Delphine back to the family farm because something's happened to her father. And the question is, can this newfound relationship manage to survive moving out of cosmopolitan Paris and going back to the farm where essentially the nature of their relationship, same-sex relationship, is you know is seen as something which is unacceptable. What I liked very much about the film is, firstly, I think from a directorial point of view, it's got a very, very good way of giving the characters enough space to find, you know, their... To find their their characters on screen so you believe in the characters completely you absolutely believe in the you know the the that they are fully rounded people second thing is i really loved the portrayal of early 1970s um you know political movement i think that the 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 scenes in which the women's group are uh, arguing and uh, and agreeing and at some point bursting into song are done really well because it's quite easy to kind of to turn that stuff into pastiche or parody or something which, which you know which which doesn't look convincing and I think they do that really well. Third thing is I think the relationship between the two central characters between um, Delphine and Carol is completely believable in the way in which there is a degree of uncertainty at first and then it becomes this thing which is really sort of you absolutely believe in 
the passion of it. But equally, you can see where the film is moving toward. And there are references to other movies which you know which kind of give you a sense where going. So you have this sort of strange bucolic beauty of the countryside, which I think is would be more familiar from things like, you know, Jean de Florette and Manon de Source. And on the other hand, you have this uh, sort of uh, frankness about their relationship, which is not in this really in the same league as uh, uh, Blue is the Warmest Colour, but has a sort of similar sense to it. And, and then you watch this relationship play out in a way which is, for, for my money, was uh, was utterly convincing. I know that not everybody has been completely uh, sort of swept away by the film, but in a in a week in which there were other films that were structurally lacking or seemed to some extent to not have sort of fully developed characters, I found this to be you know something that was very rewarding and and I liked it. I liked its gentleness. I liked its comedic touches. I liked the fact that it's clearly a very personal work made by a filmmaker telling a story that's important to them and i thought the that the whole film the whole film told its story in a way which was completely engaging and made dramatic sense but also had a a proper sort of core human heart to it that sounds worth hunting out then. Oh yes, and it's called Summertime. The original uh, title is La Belle Saison and uh, Summertime, and I like it very much. Dave in Sydney has been to see Ice Age, by the way. Oh right, fine. Uh, I took a bunch of six and seven-year-olds to see the new Ice Age film. They laugh consistently all the way through. I even had a couple of Ken Branners myself. <laughs> they were still talking excitedly about it the that's next day. That's a great phrase. Yeah, and quoting scenes I had no memory of. I guess that sums up the movie's appeal pretty well. That's quite interesting, though. May you know, might it be just to reference our previous conversation yeah. and previous conversations? Yes. Might it be that it finds its audience, which clearly it's not Dave in Sydney, but it is the six and seven year olds that Dave took to the pictures. It might be, but I think that we've had so much better stuff for that audience, which is, I mean, you know, Zootropolis, for example, which is a film which will delight that audience, but also is coherent and makes sense. I have another film which I want to do as well, unless... No, you're unless we, unless we sh- in an important way, and it's your turn. So let's quickly do Baskin, which is a Turkish uh, horror film, which came highly recommended to me by um, Stuart Barr, who's a critic that I, I like very much. Story is, um, it begins with a childhood trauma, a sort of vision of childhood trauma. We then move to a story of uh, Ricky Cop, who's out on patrol, uh, gets a message that uh, there is a, there's an operation going on that needs assistance. He and his uh, group of uh, fellow policemen head off uh, in search of the operation, but it then develops a sort of weird dream logic. They go on a road to this place called Incharge, they're heading for it, but they drive and they drive and they drive and they don't seem to be getting anywhere. And then they find themselves weirdly in woods and then they think, oh yes, the place we're looking for is behind those woods. And they go through the woods and then it sort of becomes a bit Blair Witchy. Now, the interesting thing about the film is it started very, very well. It's got a kind of, you know, very sort of evocative music, Angel Heart sort of soundtrack, um, gliding camera work, bold visuals. Um, and lots of atmospheric portents. Um, there's a frog in a soap dish, which seems to be very odd and creepy. There's a song in which somebody sings about if I can't, you know, if if I can't have the one I want, death should come and claim her. And then they go to this area which they know has got all these sort of haunted stories about, it, and it looks like it's got a kind of weird, real sort of proper fairy tale oddness. I have to say that I think it then 
fails to live up to the promise of that as it moves much more into Grand Guignol and into what looks to me like a movie trying too hard to sort of substitute shock uh, and, uh, you know, to, to, to be outrageous for actual substance. The film uh, has its roots in a shorter film, and I think in expanding it, it hasn't actually lent depth to it. What it's done is just sort of cranked up the you know, the more schlocky horror elements, which for my money are the least interesting part. But there is certainly, at the beginning, there is promise and there is stuff which 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 promises an interesting uh, an interesting film. So it's, I think it's, I think it's not, it's not an entirely coherent thing. I think it does fall down. It, it, it in the end descends rather than ascends. But there is stuff in the first two movements of it, which I found impressive and creepy, particularly, as I say, the dream logic thing, which is something which is quite hard to get right on film, but when people do, very interesting. I think the other Gary Wright track that I remember, because he did Dreamweaver, oh, fine, I think fine. it's called Our Love Is Alive, something like that. Okay. And is worth looking out for. Okay, can you sing me a bit of it? I don't sing. Really? Hmm. It, but it goes, Our Love Is Alive, Our Love Is Like A Wheel That's Turning, something like that, and then it's probably Burning. Okay. All right. Anyway, I'm already looking forward to next week's program. Good. But first of all, um, movie of the week. Well, I'm going to go for a double bill because I'm going to go for Summertime, which I really like, and Ghostbusters because I like it enough. Yeah. This is it. Gary Wright, your love is alive. Here we go. Ready for this? It's a little bit kind of a little bit ethereal. He's got a little bit of reverb coming up. He's like Warner's Electra. It's one of those record labels. America in the 70s. is on fire my soul is like a wheel that's turning is it going to be burning I imagine it will be here we go oh no my love is alive oh there you go it's just my love is alive that's it what do you think any good it's okay it is it's very dream weavery not I'm I can't imagine I put it on again Oh, well, it's quite nice. Anyway. Oh, and then I'm wrong. And then, of course, I would put it on again on a constant hard playlist now that you pointed out that it is quite nice. Uh, Alex Payton. Hello. Well, hello to you. Oh, I see. Hello, <laughs> to, <laughs> hello to Jason and Fairport and all that. LTL. I've never been compelled to become an FTE until this moment. But I think Don't the time bang the desk. has finally come. I currently work for a well-known organisation that looks after old things in trust for the people of this nation and often use your witterings as a way to keep myself focused as I perch atop ladders, cleaning said very old things with very small brushes. What do you think he's cleaning? Anyway. Well, this work-witter combo has gone without incident for some years now. Until this week when I found myself lifting a particularly unwieldy piece of armoire. At this very moment, Mark named the Titfield Thunderbolt as yes. previously theatrically released, but happens to be 
TV movie of the week. Yes. Now, as a somewhat youngish, mid-twenties person, but with a personality of a considerably older person, it's hard to express how alone I feel as having this as one of my all-time favourite films. Oh, really? No, I My think... friends don't understand most of my film choices, and I have not even attempted to explain this one. Suffice to say that this is the film that really sparked my love of movies. As a child, I'd watch the tape, rewind it, watch it again oh, several great. times over. My attitude has not changed. I love the Ealing comedies so much I even mounted a small exhibition about them about the portrayal of post-war Britain in Passport to Pimlico as part of my university studies, much to the bafflement of my classmates. This being the case, I was so excited to hear Mark proclaim this as TV Movie of the Week, I cried out and almost dropped a (laughs) rare and fragile piece of furniture and only narrowly avoided... Uh, and only narrowly rebalanced before catastrophe struck. Fortunately, no damage was done, and I've been thoroughly chuffed this week as I'm considering attempting to force my distinctly unealingly friends to watch the great titbolt, because everyone needs an abbreviation. I shall not listen so recklessly in future. And thank you to my girlfriend, Maria Julia, a recent convert to the church for being generally wonderful. Very good. And a wass-up would be very nice. So are you aware that people call it titbolt? No. No. It, it, uh, that, that is new to me. Anyway, it's Steve's idea. Okay. Does it work? Yes. Okay, fine. You ready for DVD of the week? I am. It feels as though we, this show's been going on for like a day. <laughs> it's because we haven't had any break. Well, we've, I know we have. Oh, can, right. I, can I just say how whingy did that sound? Oh, we've been like here for like two hours and but we haven't had a break. Because I mean, the podcast I... has just continued. Has the podcast continued? All the other stuff as well. Yeah. Oh, the podcast doesn't have the live streaming stuff. Oh, I see. So, Pog. So the podcasters are actually missing out, Mark. The podcasters are unaware of our film. Oh, really? Movies. Yeah. The podcasters oh. might be disappointed about that. Okay. They th- feel as though they're in the vanguard. Yeah. What are you reading? I'm just looking at the, at the stuff for the... Um, we're about to do DVD of the week, and I'm just refreshing myself. I have to work when I do this programme. Right. Okay. Cue the music. I just hate it when you do that. It's so creepy. (laughs) Do you have gold, an aunt's ugly necklace, a ring from a marriage long-ended, that bullion granddad brought home from the war? Well, we want it. Wittertainment trade DVDs for gold, you know. Send your old boring gold to us and we'll send you an exciting new DVD of the week. You won't miss that stupid yellow metal when you're sifting one of Mark's riotously entertaining selections. So please, just send us the gold. We can't just carry this on as a charity, you know. You don't need it. Hand it over. Last week, Mark chose Hail Caesar. What will he go for this time and what are your choices? Liam Cairns is like Surely it's got to be high-rise. I live in Germany and only just last week got to see it. Wheatley just continually, constantly proves himself to be one of the premier filmmakers working in Britain. Jay Lewis is like, it's incredibly difficult to choose. We'll definitely go for high-rise as I haven't seen it yet, though The Witch is one of my favourite films of the year. John Quidgley is like, I didn't really like high-rise despite enjoying the book, so I'm going to go for London Has Fallen. And Paul Matthews says, High Rise deserves the honour, demented and disturbing. It also has the best cover of any ABBA song ever. However, what is our DVD of the week? It is indeed High Rise. High You're rise. quite right about that, uh, that ABBA cover. Portishead. Yeah. Doing... Doing ABBA, doing SOS. OK. Yeah, and it's really, really good and really, really strange and very haunting. Well, it couldn't be as weird as the movie. 
What, the high-rise? Yeah, no. Portishead. Couldn't be as weird as what? High-rise. What? Carry on. Sorry, so Portishead couldn't be as weird as the film High Rise. When you said it's really weird, did you mean the cover or did you mean... The cover version, yes. Yeah, The film itself I really liked. The film is an adaptation of High Rise, the novel, which I know somebody there said that they didn't think it was as good as the book. I think what it manages to do is to do a really smart take on the book because rather than attempting to update it and therefore having to deal with the you know onslaught of the internet and all the rest of it, it basically situates it in an alternative version of the... Of the, it sort of retains the 1970s setting. I can't believe that you do this. You know, Zachary Quinto, Quinto and Chris Pine. With Zachary Quinto, just say, "Can you leave the watch?" Yeah. Can you just? Is that really? I'm only ready? tidying up. Is We've been on really the air for hours. Forever. Okay, it's directed by Ben Wheatley. He's a brilliant director. It has a fantastic performance by Tom Hiddleston, who is a really great actor. It has some really interesting music. And uh, I thought visually there were times that it reminded me of Kubrick. I thought that what it managed to do was take the satire of the source and make it uh, a portrait of of the present as seen from the past looking at the future. You've gone on so long. The music's finished. It's there are times, Simon. Yes, Mark. When I just what? You just what, Mark? I just think we've gone on too long. Are we breaking up? Are we? Is this what is this this what's happening? Are we breaking up? This show's gone on for too long. Is what I'm saying. Do you say what you're saying? Should we stop now? I think we probably better have. Gavin Esler is calling you. Ooh. Come to me. That's how he talks. This is how he talks. Come to me. I'm down here. Why does he talk like that? I don't know. Is he an elf? He probably is. When you look at him, I always look at him on the screen and think, definitely an elf. Anyway, you've been great. You've been great, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you too. (laughs) On digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live.